0: Mansell at HJ Sports and today we're gonna to go over our new sites within the Tetra line for 2022 so new for 2022 we actually came out with a new way to mount your scope housing to the infinite adjust bracket no longer do you have to worry about your vertical adjustments uh, intertwining with the second access adjustments so as you'll see on the scope housing uh, there's actually an additional brick you can either mount that to the inside of the riser or to the outside of the riser. We recommend that for most traditional bows, you mount that to the inside of the riser and for any sort of sight that you're gonna mount in line with the bow to use the outside, just flip that around um, and mount it to the outside of the riser. So within each of the product categories, we have the Tetra Max, the Tetra, and then the Tetra LT. As always, our Tetra line of sights come in four different scope housing size options, an inch and three-eighths, an inch and five-eighths, an inch and three-quarters, and then also our four-pin housing, which is an inch and three-quarters. We also offer a 10,000th pin and a thousandths pin for both single-pin and four-pin options. On the Tetra itself, we once again have micro adjustments as well as your macro gain adjustments for left and right. For your vertical adjustments on your tetra bow sight you'll want to use the screw right here on the infinite adjust rail and the screw below that you'll just loosen those and slide it up and down another key feature on the 2022 tetra bow sight is the integrated scope ring that has a built-in level another key feature on the 2022 tetra bow sight is the ability to take a 2500 blue burst light this is an added on accessory but you can actually put that on there to add light to your pin or to reduce light. With that, we also have mechanical rheostat, which is an exclusive feature to HHA on the Tetra line. You'll be able to turn in the rheostat if you want to dim the light, and then you'll also be able to turn it out if you want to let more light in. Also on our 2022 Tetra line, both sides, the Tetra comes in either a fixed frame, our Hunter edition frame, or it comes on a four to eight inch adjustable dovetail. All HGA products are 100% made and sourced in the USA, and they carry 100% lifetime warranty. For any more questions, please visit our website at www.hjsports.com.
1: Hello, we're at the ATA show at uh, Veteran Innovative Products, uh, an all-American made and manufactured broadhead. So we've got a new one for 2020 called the Combat Veteran Four Blade. As you can see, four blades it's got a lot of the same high-quality materials we use with our original two-blade Veteran. But the Combat Veteran has a different deployment system. How it deploys is you just squeeze a little bit on your main blades. Okay, those compress, and then the broadhead opens. It still has our momentum management compressible blade technology, so the the cutting diameter is inch and a quarter by two inches on this when deployed uh, in flight it's one inch by inch and a quarter another feature we added this year with these heads uh, is that you can exchange the bone breaching field point tip with a 125 grain setup if you would like so swap the tip out get you 125 grains instead of 100 which is big with those western hunters and then it's really simple to lock back in place roll those blades up and then it's a click and another click on the other side, it's completely set in, will not prematurely deploy, will not rattle free, solid containment, 100% deployment every time. So we've made a lot of good adjustments and refinements to it to make sure that it's guaranteed to deploy every single time. So that's what's new for VIP this year.
2: Folks, thank you for tuning into another episode of Bucks of America podcast. I am your host, Jeff vance So my episode tonight is with Paul Otten. Now he is the the genius behind Advanced Outdoor Technologies, and I'm not going. I'm not going to explain. It. I'm going to let him do it because this is such <laughs> a unique product that it's like I wish I had it because or wish it came out years ago. But it's like I'm glad it's finally on the market, and uh it's going to be exciting to let him talk about it. But I want you to get to know the man himself and also you guys are in for a treat this is his very first podcast so and you got to thank bed klausman from the sodak outdoor or uh, south dakota horizon outdoors if it wasn't for him i wouldn't have ever reached out to him and it's like because of how our fees inter or, or feeds Interming- intermingled it's just it was just it's just a no-brainer so man paul thank you for coming on to the podcast i'm i'm excited this is your very first one is it it's, it's, so this is going to be fun so paul why don't to tell me like more about who you are and like how you got into hunting and fishing or being the outdoorsman
3: you are today well i'm from san jose california and uh, most people are like you don't seem like you're from San Jose. <laughs> but uh, my father was always into hunting and my grandfather, they were both into hunting. Um, my father actually and my grandfather actually owned a, uh, some duck hunting property. I actually own it now. Uh, 50 acre pond, series of ponds that we uh, duck hunt and I have people come out and hunt with me on. So I grew up. Duck hunting. I mean, my dad was carrying me across the pond on his back when I was, you know, eight, 10 years old. And uh, so, I mean, I was, you know, a duck hunter for Halloween and, you know, in my camo. And then I was always into army surplus stuff. My grandfather was really into surplus stuff. Um, And so I would dig through the cabinets in the garage and I'd find like military surplus canteen. Uh or something like, well, you take the canteen out and there's a cup inside, (laughs) you know? (laughs) So I had the whole rig going with the canteen, all the ammo pouches, and, you know, I just always loved camo, and uh, my parents eventually bought some property up in the Sierras, and they had a log cabin built, so, you know, when I was like 12 years old. Maybe even before that, like uh, I was always running around up in the Sierras with my BB gun and uh, eventually I had a recurve bow. That's what I started with was a recurve. Uh, First time I shot a bow was at a a camp for like in fourth fourth or fifth grade. They send all the kids to this camp up in the mountains and uh, they had an opportunity for you to shoot a bow and arrow. And it was a little cheesy bow and arrow, and I shot it, and I hit the dirt, couldn't hit the target, and I was super upset about it, and, I, you know, I was like, I know I'm better than this, <laughs> like, you know, this is, and uh, so that always made me mad, and then like a few years later, I was a little bit older, uh, one of my friends who was a neighbor, he invited me to a Christian summer camp. And I went to that and it turns out they had an archery range and I went there and they had like a real recurve bow. And then they had a a person there that actually instructed me, oh, you got to put the, you know, the arrows got to be on a certain way and, you know, how to kind of draw a little bit. And, uh, I started shooting and the guy's like, oh, you're really good. So, uh, I came home. I was like, mom, dad, I want a bow and arrow. <laughs> And uh, I thought they were going to just be like, yeah, right. And the biggest shock of my life, my dad goes, oh, that's easy. There's one upstairs in the closet. And I was like, "What?" I have scoured every inch of this house as a child looking for Christmas presents. How would I never (laughs) come across a bow and arrow in the closet? (laughs) And Sure enough, there was a bow and arrow in the closet. And uh, I got it all set up as a 30-pound curve. And uh, so then I used to go up to my parents' cabin and just fling arrows at everything. Um, And I did that for a long time. And then uh, I had a friend that lived down here in the city. And we couldn't, we weren't big enough back then to pull back, you know, like a 45-pound bow was like, you know, I could barely get it back. Like, you couldn't, we couldn't pull back something you could really hunt with. You know what I mean? Because we were just kids. Okay. And uh, my friend, I think he got a crossbow first. And, uh, I mean, who doesn't want a crossbow, right? <laughs> so, I ended up getting a barnet crossbow. And, uh, you know, with, you know, using my legs and both my arms, I could get it cocked. Ooh. You know, I had a couple scary situations with that but <laughs> after a while I got a little bigger you know and uh I used to shoot it in my backyard I got a scope for it I had it all dialed out and uh I could shoot it really good but I learned a lot about archery about trying to get a broadhead to fly okay. <laughs> from this situation because uh, like, what, you know, whenever I run into people that are like, oh, I want to get a crossbow, I'm like, okay, first of all, you got to understand all these things. It's not what you think. So, you know, a crossbow that has a 150-pound draw, it really doesn't put out, you know, like a 70-pound bow because the draw length is so short. You know, they say the longer your draw length, the more power you get. Well, crossbow draw length, you know. It's not like a I'm They could make them, I'm sure, but they don't seem to. Um, And then the other thing is the arrows are short, so you put a, you know, a fixed blade on that. Back then I was shooting, you know, bare razors, these big, you know, old school uh, broadheads. And uh, you put one of those on the end, and the, the, the fletchings aren't helical either because it sits in a groove. So all the fletchings are straight, so you don't have any spin. And so I would try and shoot a broadhead at 25 yards, and it would miss the target almost. You know, it would just go all over the place. And this was back before they had uh, expandables. Expandables kind of solved that whole issue. But if I shot that thing for a while... And uh, we tried to go up in the hills and get after pigs, but I never took a a shot at a pig with it. Probably a good thing. (laughs) And then uh, eventually my buddy, he got bigger and I don't know, somehow he decided to get a bow and arrow. And so he got a compound and I still have my crossbow and I went over to his house and uh, we set up a target. And, you know, I was always impressed that my crossbow arrows would stick out the back of the target, you know, like this far. I mean, the arrow's only a little bit longer than that. And uh, he was shooting a flame. I don't know if it was a P.S. Darton or a PSE. I forget who made it. Uh, but this was back in the day. I don't know how old you are. They had uh, overdraws. So basically what they would do is they would move the rest back. Even if there would be like a piece you bolt on that moves the rest back, like, way back and then you shorten your arrows and then you get way more speed but it just makes it way less forgiving for your shooting but back then that was like the hot hot thing was the overdraw so anyway he had that thing he started cranking it up to 90 pounds and everything but he would shoot the target even before he cranked it up and his arrow would stick out like twice it'd go twice as far into that target as my 150 pound crossbow and i was like and then the, the other thing is the crossbow, like, you know, the arrows, like, <laughs> so like 45 yeah. was kind of hitting the max range on that, you know, and it was, it was really arcing in there. So I quickly realized, you know what? I want a compound bow. <laughs> so uh, I got my first bow it was from Cabela's. And, uh, I ordered it. It was a golden eagle carbine hawk at 80% let off. It went up to 80, 60 to 80 pounds or something like that. And I had to wait, it was on back order. I had to wait months and months and months to get that thing. It was finally showed up. I couldn't believe it. And so then I had to learn, uh, then I had to learn archery and I, you know, I did, I had all sorts of learning experiences, you know, I put my Wrist strap release on. I ran down to the range. I had to take it to a, I learned, you know, I took it, I had to take it to a, a pro shop to get it set up because I didn't know how to set it up. And I learned right away, they're like, what did you buy this at Cabela's and then bring it into here for?
4: <laughs> so yeah, a conversation. <laughs> I'm
3: like, oh, well, I didn't know that was a thing. I just got my boat. <laughs> and uh, so they, you know, set it up, and I had this like T.M. Hunter pronghorn rest. I don't know if you're familiar with those things.
2: I didn't. I only got into archery in 2014, so I, my okay. experience with archery is very limited. So okay. my tech, I'm I've only been dealing with the yeah. top of line technology for the last period. Okay. You've actually got to work with the progression of
3: everything. I got really yeah. big into yeah.
2: paintball uh, back things. in the nineties. Uh, I started the with the 90s.
3: Aluminum arrows, big fat uh, XX75 super slams. I
2: think I think like, okay. that's what I'm rocking right now is is <laughs> is uh, game chasers from Easton. They're aluminum yeah. arrows because I just like shooting. I have a I got a, a 34 axle axle, and they're just so much more fun with a longer axle axle. Just to kind of get that nice arc and that consistency and such. So yeah, yeah, yeah. It kind of gave me it kind of gave me a reason to start using them again. They're only used. I'm only using them for targets, so I, I won't
3: dare bring them up for hunting. Yeah. Well, so I mean, I was so. I mean. I don't know. My buddy helped convince me that like, you know, you got to have the fat shaft aluminum, you know? Oh yeah. And then like when the carbons came out, I was like, those are for sissies. (laughs) (laughs) You got to shoot the aluminums. And, uh, I got another buddy by then I was in college and I got a guy who I was up at Chico. You probably know where that's at, but it's up North in the kind of the, Agricultural rice growing area, and uh, I got a buddy into archery, and uh, he was a real good dude. I knew if I got him into archery, he would give me a hunting spot, and it paid off. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's the way to do it. Everybody loved, and uh, anyway, he I I hooked him up with a bow, but I didn't give him all the accessories, so he had to go buy all the accessories. And but in no time, apparently there was a a warehouse in Orville it's like a distributor that just sends all the products to all these shops or something all right and he he was doing like tile and rich houses and countertops and stuff like that and so he did this guy's house and started talking about archery and the guy's like oh I have an archery warehouse and he's like, "Oh, here's game carbon arrows, and like, oh, he's just like a truckload of stuff." Nice. <laughs> so anyway, he started shooting carbons, and uh, he had a great deer story. So he he was hunting. We got to hunt the the country club, where all there was like a spot that uh, they hadn't developed yet. Just primo, they're big bucks, turkeys. And, He got access to it because he knew the owner. And uh, he went up there and uh, there was a buck bedded down at like 70 yards. He had just started shooting like that year. Okay. He did a lot of practice at 20, but, I mean, it's almost kind of a miracle that he made this shot. (laughs) He took took a 70-yard shot at this thing. He missed it the first time. It hit just below it, I guess. All right. And then he just aimed higher, used his next pin, and then shot it right through the heart at 70 on the second nice. shot. <laughs> and the, what I, you know, people talk about penetration. This this blew me away. He had me uh, clean the thing for him. And uh, the arrow went right through here, through the heart. I pulled the heart out. You could see the broadhead marks on it. Came out the other side, broke the leg, and completely passed through at 70 yards. And it was just a carbon, you know, run-of-the-mill carbon arrow with, like, a probably, like, a thunderhead, 100-grain thunderhead broadhead. And he was shooting a bare-heart bow, which didn't have an aggressive cam. And, yeah. just devastation like (laughs) you know when i hear people talk about oh you gotta have you know an 800 grain arrow and you know all this fo3 i'm like i'm not saying that that stuff won't help you but you know i mean 20 years ago (laughs) arrows were going through animals (laughs) you know just a standard lightweight carbon arrow that just came out so, I've had pretty good luck with some of the, all the animals that I've shot. Uh, I've shot a few pigs. We have a lot of pigs around here in California. If yeah, I'm
4: familiar.
3: It, it's not easy to get access, so I always had to wait around and hope someone would invite me, and I got lucky a few times and uh, got invited, and uh, yeah, my first pig wasn't very big, like under 100 pounds uh and i shot it 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 did a pass through okay um and then it kind of it went off in the grass and i kind of followed after it and then it was still half alive It'd get up and kind of run off and then it lay down i put another i put a few more into it finally uh finally got it but uh yeah i've had real good I mean, I haven't had any problems with. I always shoot. I've always shot fixed blade. I've experimented. I have some expandables. Um, I've never really put them into anything. I've launched them a couple times, but uh, I have I haven't shot too much of the expandables. I went. I did a tree stand hunt in Indiana two years ago through okay. Chad Mendez's uh, fins and feathers. Okay. And. Uh, when I was up in that, I brought some expandables, and then I shoot for a long time. I shot muzzies, um, but then I noticed before I went on a elk hunt, um, I had just heard about slick tricks. This was in like 2011. It was my first elk hunt. I went to Montana, and uh, so I ended up buying some slick tricks, and then I had the muzzies. I was shooting carbon arrows, and uh, I was. I had learned uh, in in Chico, <laughs> I shot at this turkey and my I didn't realize it because I had never practiced with my broadheads, that okay. the broadheads were actually not impacting in the same spot that my field points were. So I was, you know a great shot with field points and we had turkeys come in like 30 40 yards which should have been smoke city and i shot at them twice and like i didn't hit them and i was like what the hell so i i happened to have a big foam turkey target and i set it out like the next day and i walked back 40 yards took a field point shot it boom right in the chest okay i understand and I put my broadhead on, and I shot high left into the tail feathers. I was like, oh, I must have flinched because broadheads are real sensitive. You know, fixed blades, you do any little bit. You can get a flyer. I'm like, I'm going to come back, shoot that again, make sure it's a perfect shot. So I come back, do it again, do the best shot I can do, high left in the tail. I go walking down there, my arrows were impacting high left in the tail about that far from each other. They were, like, grouping, you know. Yeah, yeah, I get you. (laughs) And uh, so that's why, you know, if you, you know, read Archery Talk, everyone's talking about tuning and arrow tuning and all this stuff. You know, it's something, if you're going to shoot a fixed blade broadhead, you absolutely have to test it to see if it's impacting the same as your field points. Otherwise you could learn a hard lesson the way I did.
2: (laughs) Well, that's good. Then at least, at least, uh, at least you didn't wound any animal. So how did you get uh, hooked up with Chad Mendez's group? Did It was just, was it a guided hunt then or
3: what? Yeah. Yeah. I, so I came, I had my idea for the invention. That was about, Two or three years ago. So basically how how this whole thing got started is uh, one of my buddies, he started shooting a handheld release. He's real good friends with a guy that owns a Predator archery shop down here. And, uh, and anyway, he got him a stand, handheld release. And he was shooting it. And for some reason, he wanted me to switch. He didn't tell me this, but uh, he showed me it and he's like, dude, this thing's so sweet. You gotta, you know. And I'm like, how much are they? And he's like, oh, they're like 200. I was like, oh, no way. <laughs> 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 I'm gonna spend that kind of money. You know, I got my wrist strap. like. <laughs> so he's like, oh, I'll sell it to you for a hundred bucks. And I was like, what? Like, it's a like $200 for a hundred bucks? I'm like, all right, sold. <laughs> yeah, that's how I'd be <laughs> how right now. Gonna say, how are you going to say no to that? You know, so he... Exactly. He, he kind of, he did that on purpose because he wanted me to switch. So anyway, I shot it and I was like, wow, this thing is sweet. And I could see how, you know, with the index, it's like shooting a handgun. You know, your your trigger finger can influence the right and left you know that's correct 100% on that and you know with the the handheld it just seemed like it's cleaner and it just seems a little more you know you you get the pull like they say you're supposed to do you know and everything so i was like okay i could see why you know target archers are using it and you know it you know it feels great I, you know i like shooting it and i never liked So, the thing about the wrist tamp, I liked the fact that it was always accessible for hunting. You know, it's on your wrist. You're like, you know, no problem. But I just never liked it on there. You know, it's always wrist is getting sweaty. The thing's always in the way. Your hand, you know, they have the ones that fold back. I had that and that was nice. But, you know, you're still messing with it. So I was never, and then you always got to tie it on your bow so you don't forget it. Um, So I wasn't a huge fan of it, but. I shot it well and, you know, anyway, I had this Stan Perfects and I was like, I would love to use this thing, but there's no way I'm going to like put this thing in my pocket (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) and like walk around and try to hunt and be like, oh shit, here comes something, I'm going to dig this out of my pocket. Like, yeah, I didn't have a vinyl harness. A lot of people, you know. If I had started with a bino harness and, like, you know, I had a little pocket that was right there, then maybe this, this probably would never have happened because I would have just done what everybody else done, just stuck it in that little pocket. Yep, that's um, what
2: I do with mine, with my bino harness. <laughs> I have a pocket right there, stick it right in there.
3: But I never, I was, I didn't have a bino harness. I was, like, rarely did I even use, now I have a bino harness and the binos and the windicate. I got all the stuff going. Um, but for a long time I didn't, and I would just use, cause I mean, I can only shoot 40 yards and I would, if I saw an animal far away, I would just use my range finder with enough magnification to be like, okay, I could identify it. And then I would, you know, cause I would bring binoculars, put in my pack in there, and there pull them out. You know, I did that for a long time. Now I got the, you know, I'm using the, it, it is nice having the binehards. It
2: is. Um, it is a nice upgrade. <laughs>
3: Especially with the windicator right there and everything. And the rangefinder it gives me a place to have my range finder. It's all uh,
2: nicely centralized location for it. Yeah, like, yeah. Instead of having them in different spots and such.
3: And then you could like, I noticed like when I go hunting, like if I'm somewhere, I don't have to, I usually always have my backpack um, just because it has all sorts of stuff in there. But if I just wanted to just hike, you know, a little ways and hunt I can just put just the bino harness on and then that way I have my range finder and wind- the, the things that you kind of absolutely have to have um because you gotta have the range finder I mean you don't have to but <laughs> you can be cussing yourself out afterwards <laughs> yeah yeah I, I, that happened to me two years ago
2: where, where I sat down and I had a doe show up at, at 25 yards and, I, and I, I I eyeballed her at 30 and when I shot and that that arrow would or over the top and it's like my my rangefinder was not even like 50 yards away it's like oh, oh man it's like but i was just kind of happy it's like well at least it was a clean miss and i didn't oh i didn't overshoot or anything like that so now i've kind of learned my lesson to always keep it on me at all times
3: yeah i had a learning lesson and i had the rangefinder, biggest bore i ever had a shot at it was probably like 300 350 it was big oh he's a big boy And, uh, I got behind this oak tree and it was out in this field walking around. He was kind of coming towards me and, uh, I was hiding behind the tree and I leaned out and I glassed it and it was at like 63 yards or something like that. And I was like, Oh, that's pretty far. But. I was like, man, if I let it get too close, he's going to win me and just book it, <laughs> you know? True. And I'm like, it's a pig, you know? If I don't make the greatest shot in the world on it, it's, you know, <laughs> eh, all right. <laughs> yeah, it's just a pig. So I was like, you know what? I'm like, I'm going to do the 60-yarder on this thing, you know, because it was a big target, and I could hit 60. So I was like, yeah, it's worth trying. You know, it's better. I felt like it was better for me to take the 60 instead of getting burned at 30. <laughs> you know what I mean true
2: <laughs> very true and plus is that if you make the connection it's like I shot him at 60 yards and he dropped within yeah. it however far
3: <laughs> so anyway uh you know I ranged it and then I got back behind the tree and I drew back and then I leaned out and so it was kind of eating and walking at the same time and it was face it was kind of quartered towards me real hard so I didn't have a shot and it was basically getting closer It was just, you know, had its head on the ground, just grazing, kind of walking closer, closer, closer. And then finally it turned broadside, and I put my 60 pin on it, and I was like, it looks a little high, you know. And I'm like, oh, but I just ranged it at 63, and he only took, you know, he only came like five yards closer. And I'm like, it's 60, it's 60, and I shot. And it just went right over that side. (laughs) (laughs) So I went to where he was standing when I took the shot. It just took off as soon as the arrow went over. And then I ranged the tree and he was at 50. Ah, And so. There it is. Just like three. The thing only took like three from my memory. It seemed like it only took like three like paces. But, like, if you, you know, if you step, like, a yard every pace, that's, like, 10 yards. (laughs) So, what I learned from that is, you know, you want to range right before you take the shot, you know. And then there was nothing at that time. There was no, no other things out in the field for me to, like, you know, if I... Ideally, you, if you're in a spot and you're waiting for something to come in, you can range like some bushes. And
4: when get, you're, like,
2: board, yeah, when you're yeah. bored, you're setting there, you're ranging every single thing. So if it shows up, it's like, well, if he hits this tree, it's 30, yeah, if hits this yeah. tree, it's 15, you can go on so on and so forth.
3: But he was in an open field, so I didn't have that. But uh, I also, I learned to you know try to range, you know, at the right before the shot, <laughs> <laughs> but also trust. So I shoot a fixed pin sight. And, I mean, I have a dial sight on the bow. I take the tack because um, you kind of need it. And I've seen – I was really impressed when I – I have some friends that are from Utah that used to work here. They would fly back and forth every week. Uh, really good dudes. Um, Saxon, he has a archery, precision archery out of uh, Cedar City. And, uh, you know, they could dial that 252 yards and get, you know, <laughs>
4: <laughs> that, yes, you know, instead yes. of
3: gapping, you know, in between. Um, and so I definitely could see the value of the precision for those in-between shots. Um have you got so a I ch- getting you got
2: one. A ch- I was gonna ask you before we move on oh. like have you got a chance to check out the easy v site side? Oh yeah, yeah, I've
3: seen that.
2: Yeah yeah, yeah. Ben loves that thing. It's like and I, I've watched a lot of videos on that. My uh Jeremy from uh Bourbon State Outdoors he, his daughter has it and you think he's going to get one too as well, but it's like you're able to range everything without actually having to range it based off the sight yeah, yeah. And it's very easy to, to sight in like the kind of build that muscle memory and such and i've been i've been playing in the back of my mind about getting one for my wife but uh, i just got her a magna 4x magnifier and oh, yeah, yeah. and she's actually liking it she's able to, to actually with her with her prescription it's seems to be complementing each other now i have one of mine my 4x and it's like when i'm looking through it it's like it's all fuzzy so it's like well it sounds like my eyesight's oh, still good clarifier. Now, you got a clarifier not yet that's what i'm trying yeah, to figure out like a clarifier that's the thing, like when I was when I was at my bow shop, the guy I was talking to, he's knowledgeable, but it's not his specialty. So it's yeah, like we yeah. were able to quite pinpoint what would make sense for me. And I also thought of like, well, maybe this four X is too strong for me, maybe dropping down to a deck, two X, but no, I'll go in and uh one uh, when, when one of the guys are at working and ask him, like, hey, this is what I'm enduring, what do you recommend for and upgrade my peep from there?
3: Yeah, so I have uh, a montana this is expensive bad boy right here montana black gold yeah with the lens this is what i shoot tack with um and then it has a you know a clarifier in the peep and so if you like if you just look through the lens without looking through the clarifier like it's just blurry
4: like i couldn't shoot exactly So that's that's a that's a lesson learned
2: from there. So it's like I'll just go back in there. And <laughs> well, they have, nice. a,
3: yeah, you get spoiled having that that uh, that magnified view, you know. Well, it's,
2: I've noticed my eyes are just, or there's not what they used to be and such. And I just want to have that confidence because here in Wisconsin, you could use a magnifier for hunting. And it's like, I just want to have that that ethical shot. So when I like, when I, when I draw back, I'm going to, I know like, I've shot enough animals where I'm not too concerned about it, but I just want to have that extra level of confidence. So this way when I draw back and range everything, I'm not going to feel like the, I'm going to be off target. or I'm going to shoot high, shoot low. It's going to be true.
3: So uh, for tac, it really helps because they love to take the targets and put them in the bushes super far away, like super obstructed. And so with just your naked eye, you're just seeing like this brown. I mean, you can see the target, but you're shooting at a patch kind of, you know what I mean? But when you have magnified, you can actually see the thing, you know what I mean? Oh yeah. So it makes it way, way better. <laughs> the <laughs> only thing it didn't make better was when it rained uh, last year in uh, South Dakota. It was dumping, and uh, normally, so what I do, I learned that if I uh, if I don't cover the lens up, it gets all dusty. So uh, I happen to have this. Uh, when you buy pairs of sunglasses, sometimes they give you these like socks. Oh yeah. And it just works perfect. And so if I would have had something like this, like in between targets, I could have just slapped it on and it would have kept the water out of it. But I, when I was packing, I was like, oh, I don't need this thing. (laughs) (laughs) Why would I need that? You know what I mean? No, (laughs) no, no, do do
2: the going lenses... down the
3: hill like trying to dry the thing <laughs> right
2: No, on those lenses can, do do they have a special film on there or can you put like a, a squirt little rain x
3: on it you could but i don't think it would help you because uh, the rain x just Beats you know off. it helps it beat up um yeah you just need to you know if like, like you just need a little thing to put over it like when you're sh- so the reason it gets the water in it is not when you're shooting, because when you're shooting, you have it like this. So, you know, the rain's not going in the sight. But when you're hiking around, it's like a bucket. Yeah,
4: that's, that's so true. <laughs> it's just that's filling so true. up the
3: water. Yeah, I've <laughs> so re- you just have something to put over it. When you're hiking around, you should be fine.
2: Yeah, that's what <laughs> happened to – I shot last year at one of the HG USA events. It was just downpouring. Mean, all three of us were just soaked. We were the last ones to come off the field. And he had the whole kit and caboodle and his situation was the same exact way, but he had a, a big, nice bow cover and some like of that, but it's like, he still struggled. I, me and the other guy, we just re- single pin ready to rock and roll.
3: Yeah. So that's in Heather. So, you know, I went to South Dakota last year. I went the year before and, you know, the year before it was, you know, mid seventies, it, it gets pretty hot, you know, I mean, might have been mid-80s, 85. Yeah, mid-70s isn't too hot. But when you're on that hill in just the direct sun, if there's no breeze, like, you just start cooking. And so I was expecting it to be like that, you know. I mean, you only get so much. Usually those uh, ski resorts are so high in the mountains that, like, the weather forecasts aren't really any good. You know, because the weather changes so much. You know, one cloud comes by and boom, you know, (laughs) it's supposed to be 90 degrees. It's raining. Like if you go to Utah, like when I went to Utah the year before, it was like 90. And then at four o'clock, it started raining. (laughs) Luckily, I was back, you know, eating my hamburger at this point. (laughs) But there's still people on the hill. Um, But anyway, this last time I was in uh, South Dakota. I was there, I always would get there a little early so I could kind of cruise around, explore, because I'd never really been out there too much. And uh, it was just monsooning, and I was like, man, I brought a jacket, a rain jacket. It's uh, Bass Pro Shops, my hunting little lightweight rain jacket. I didn't bring the pants that I have for it. Um, You know, I just brought it just, you know, in case it's sprinkled or something, you know and uh and i've had that jacket for over 10 years and i know like with a lot of rain you're gonna start feeling some moisture you know and uh that's all i had and like the night before it was like pouring and i was like man maybe i could like get on amazon and like overnight some rain (laughs) (laughs) and i could have it would have been there a little late uh actually i could have got if i would have thought ahead of time i was you know i landed in rapid city and they have shields Shields, and capellas i could have got something but it actually it wasn't raining it was 100 degrees when i got there (laughs) that's (laughs) the last
2: thing on your mind (laughs)
3: <laughs> yeah, I wasn't thinking, oh, I did rain gear. You know, I went up in the hills, then it started raining. Um, but anyway, uh, while I was shooting, the next, the second day, uh, I met these cool guys from Colorado, and uh, it started sprinkling again, and uh, one of the guys gets in his backpack and whips out rain gear, gets in this you know rain gear and like he's like 10 feet away and he's like blending in i'm like dude that camo pattern is sick like yeah makes this gear you have and he's like oh s-k-r-e i'm like S-K-R-E. okay well so i uh i ended up getting that and i love it it's super lightweight good stuff there from utah i believe yeah it's a good okay. company screen uh, I got a lot of their gear. I got their pants, their jacket. Them and Numa, I really like both those companies. Sitka, I so they're expensive. They make good <laughs> <Yeah>. stuff. <laughs> yeah, they do, yeah, they are. Uh, I spent so when I got back, there was a lot of people that were in South Dakota, and they had this. Uh, they had Sitka like gear on. It was like this. Uh, this newer pattern it's like a white tail it's got like some white in it because i guess for like when you're up in the sky um but it looks like it was such a cool looking pattern like mm-hmm. yeah, i just wanted to walk you know i'm like i'll wear that like you know when i go out to eat you know <laughs> i see girls wearing them like damn she's hot she's got the pattern <laughs> well i gotta be cool like that i gotta get that pattern so anyway I couldn't, you know, I was like, do I want the Sitka or the... So first I bought the uh, the Scree, because it was like half the price of a Sitka. And I was like, man, I got to get the Sitka. And so it actually worked out. So the Sidka that I bought, they, they actually make different rain gears. So the Scree rain gear I got was like a lightweight packable that like goes into like a little thing the sitka i ended up getting the downpour and it's it's like a canvas jacket actually you know it's solid um but it would be something i would wear as a jacket like in a tree stand (laughs)
1: like
3: the lightweight stuff i would not wear unless it was like summer in a tree stand you know so i I did do I was telling you I did the hunt through Chad Mendez. I went to Indiana that that was crazy. so I got to learn about the tree stand life uh, so it's not very fun, but it's so cool we can do <laughs> yeah. Uh, it was, yeah, it was pretty uh, yeah a lot of learning about you know some being way up in the trees and everything like some of those were pretty high but you got like when you got the you know you put the harness little thing on you go up there so you don't feel too bad but like uh one of the trees i sat in the first tree i sat in there was like a little branch like out in front of me All right and so i didn't i felt that i've climbed i'm not really like scared of heights you know i used to climb tree you know climb way up trees and stuff like that and so i, I didn't have any problem with that stand so much because it had that little branch so if i've like felt it out of balance i could just like you know, grab the little branch, you know what I mean? And then, like, the next day, every day I was in a different stand. The next day, I was in this one that was, like, probably five feet higher. <laughs> so it's was way up there. Okay. Yeah, you know, extra five feet, you know, makes you feel, you know, you're like, woo. But uh, there was nothing. Like, you know, you basically just have the chair and the tree behind you. And... We were drinking every night. <laughs> <laughs> that happens. Yeah. So I'm, you know, it's five in the morning, and I'm like, oh man, I just want to lean my head against. Oh, there's nothing to lean my head against. <laughs> like, oh, well, this is super sketchy. But uh, what I learned is that. So the cool thing about those tree stands is you can like put the seat up and then stand up, and then I just turn and face the tree, and the tree had a big Y in it. And so I basically became a tree hugger, <laughs> you know, I just hang my bow up and then I just, you know, I kind of grabbed the tree and just, I felt so much more comfortable holding on to the tree. Cause I felt like I was climbing the tree. I'm not going to like fall off, you know? And I just did that for a while just to kind of, you know, I would do that for just, you know, maybe five or 10 minutes. And then, uh, then I would sit back down, you know? And then every once in a while, I'd have to go t- hug the tree.
2: <laughs> yeah, I, don't know, those, I don't know those feelings where you, where you get up and you, you feel the alcohol still sloshed on your stomach. Like, oh, there it comes. There it
3: is. Well, plus, the, the you know, the, the bucks could have been coming in from the other side. Like, there's a whole other view once you, like, stand up and look the other way, you know. So you kind of got to look around and everything. But uh, it was interesting. So I understand, like, so, you know, California, no one's really sitting in tree stands it's mainly spot and stock and so
4: i kind of understood
3: that you know a lot of the people in the midwest they hunt tree stands and they hunt you know handheld releases and they just hang them on their d loop and their day's over so uh when i first came out with my invention which we haven't talked about too much but uh i contacted archery talk i was going to advertise so you can't post on archery talk about your sweet invention
4: <laughs> yep that <laughs> is so true pay
3: them money you know they'll be like you're not a v-. like everyone wants to be the police there they're like you're not a vendor you can't sell them <laughs> you know yeah that, <laughs> so I that happens that a lot i used to i used to Post on there a long time ago, so I knew I couldn't just get on there and be like, you know. Mm-hmm. Oh yes. <laughs> so I figured I'd well. talk to him first and see, you know, oh, what's a hundred bucks for me, and then I can just like talk about it. Well, no, it's like two grand. <laughs> oh wow! <laughs> or, yeah, or more. Yeah, yeah. I was like, so anyway, he gave me the the menu. Of, you know, oh, you want to be a vendor? And I'm like, oh, okay. And uh, it was like two or three grand to be able to uh, vendor there. And then, or you could pay, it was like a little bit less, 1500 bucks or something. It ended up being two grand once they tacked on this other fee. (laughs) (laughs)
4: It's all pitchable, here's another fee.
3: But uh, they're like, oh, we will write an article about your product. And then we'll put it on and, you know, we'll share it around the internet and stuff like that. And I was like, oh, sweet, you know? I'm going to do it, you know? And so I paid them a bunch of money and, uh, I thought that they were going to like, I was going to send them my product and they were going to evaluate it, you know, and then like write about it. And no, they're like, Oh, send us some pictures. And so I, and they just wrote an article based on the pictures. They never even seen one. Well, that's kind of pointless. (laughs) Yeah so anyway uh i was kind of disappointed with that but uh the article was okay like they they get your approval for the article so they they tried to you know they ask you like how do you want it written fun or this and that Uh, it's kind of whatever but uh you know so they basically wrote there's it's still on there there's an article and they basically talk about how uh you don't not to you know it's not to forget your release is basically the way they marketed it, which that's one of the great selling points of the invention, but that's not why I invented it. Um, we started talking about why I invented it. I didn't want to keep it, uh, thumb release in my pocket. So oh, I didn't finish that part was so in order, you know, I was like, if I'm going to use this and hunt with it, I want to attach it to my bow and I want to be able to grab it, shoot, put it back. No hassles. And then then I have the same access with this that you did with your index finger. You know? Correct. And uh, so I was like, I can do that. Then... I will be super happy with this. <laughs> <laughs> so, I'm an engineer and we had 3D printers at the place I worked at the time and uh a few of the projects I I had worked on involved uh, uh like a robot like picking things up and moving it and uh and one of the things we did for the robot to pick something up and then put it on the dock station to keep it to help it like not screw up is we put a magnet on it and that helped it stick you know locate even if the robot was like a little bit off or something it kind of just helps it you know makes sense yeah you know and I was like man this you know I might be able to do something like that with this thing you know a docking station
4: there you go (laughs) perfect that's a good
3: analogy and uh so I took a magnet and I was like, oh wow, yeah, the jaw's steel and this button back here is steel. So I could, I'm like, oh I can easily put two magnets on there. So then I went and 3D printed up something and uh I was like, Oh that's not gonna work." I had to saw the front of it off. <laughs> and I was like, Okay, it kinda works, you know? And then I, you know, refined it a little more and more till uh, till it worked and then uh, I showed my buddy that gave me, you know, sold me the thumb release, and the first thing he said was, "Oh man," he's like, "It's probably patent," <laughs> and I was like, "Oh man," I was like, I was thinking the same thing, but
4: I was like,
3: because oh. I I've had ideas before about other like uh outdoor products, yeah, that uh, and I like did all sorts of research about patents, and I had a I read a book about Patents. It's called Patent It Yourself. It's a really good book to read. I'm not sure remembering what I read in there if it was really works for today, but uh, it was a good read. But uh, I knew that you could go to the patent website and just do a search. So this is the first thing you need to do. You have the world's greatest idea. You got to make sure. First thing, before you do get too excited (laughs) you gotta go see if someone else already patented it (laughs) and there's it seems like everything's you could dig around on that website for a long time and there's like millions of patents like you wouldn't even believe you're like what the hell is this (laughs) and so i i figured you know okay someone's got a patent on this thing you know something similar but i ended up getting on there and there was nothing zero nothing even remote nothing about a release on a bow and i was like (laughs) (laughs) winner so that means it's wide open (laughs) normally like when you try to patent something there'll be something that's kind of like it and something else that's similar to it But, like, yours is in between, and you got to try to, like, squeeze it in there. Mine, there was nothing. So, I was like, oh, this is a slam dunk. So, so I got in. I had to go find a patent attorney, and I looked in the phone book and drove around, and I don't know. I ended up finding some guy. He was not much of a help. I did, like, he, he did... Yeah, I absolutely needed him because he did the final, it's got to be official uh, stuff. Um, and it, they say, and that's what about it cost me is about 12,000 bucks um, in different stages, you know. Yes. Um, but I did all the drawings myself and I I wrote a lot of it. He rewrote it completely different because I the way I wrote it wouldn't have probably. You know, it's it's gotta be in a perfect format for the patent office or they'll throw it away. That's probably where it was. That's true. Yeah, he lowered it up for you So luckily I meant so after I had this idea, luckily uh at our uh my local archery range, my friends from Utah was telling me about Saxon. They're like, Hey, uh one of the guys over here, Kirby, he has a, a product that he patented and he's selling and he goes to the ATA. And I'll, I was like, well, I gotta talk to this guy. <laughs> so, yeah, okay. my, my now buddy, Kirby, he makes something called a slobber knocker. All right. And he owns K-thump, K Thump, it's like K Thump Archery. And uh, what he came up with is an aerodynamic blunt tip so you okay. know you know what a blunt tip is they're yeah. usually like plastic you know and you shoot squirrels with them or whatever correct well, what i didn't realize like so i love blunt tips if you've ever shot anything with a blunt there's nothing better <laughs> 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 so I've, I've been a big fan of the blunt tip and i had like packages of them And my buddy's like, Oh, you got to buy slobber. I'm like, Why am I going to go buy slobber knockers when I got a package of blunts and I love the thing? Like, I don't need, like, what? Why is this slobber knocker any better? Well, anyway, I decided, you know, I became friends with Kirby and I was like, Okay, you know, if I'm going to help him, I try to help him out marketing a little bit because he's older, an older gentleman. Right. (laughs) He ever, and he doesn't, you know, he's not hit with the technology you know so i try to help him out a little bit but uh i was i was like okay i'm gonna go do a test of his product because if i'm gonna tell people something's good i gotta believe in it you know myself <laughs> yeah i completely <laughs> so, uh, that. so i took one and uh and then i took a regular blunt and i went to our local archery range and i think i even did like a little video of it um and so I shot him at 80 yards at the target because, yeah, that's what my buddy was saying. He's like, or I uh, what Kirby was telling me. He's like, oh, no, those, you know, the blunts that I love, he's like, those things will drop, you know, a ton, you know. And I was like, well, I never noticed it, you know. <laughs> okay, yeah. And uh, he's like, my blunt, you know, it flies perfect, you know, forever or, you know, damn near forever. <laughs> and uh, I'm like, oh, okay, well, let me check this out. So, uh, yeah, I went out there and uh, I put a little patch at 80 because, you know, the smaller, the aim small, miss small, you know, <laughs> and uh, I shot a field point and then the two blunts and the field point, I was probably low left by like this much at 80, which isn't the greatest shot in the world. I usually shoot a little bit better than that, um, but 80 not easy, so it's not totally impossible that I'd be that far off. And then I shot the slobber knocker and it damn near hit the paper. Nice. And then I shot the... I won't use their name. The standard blunt. Correct. (laughs) And it dropped so much that it hit the rubber on the bottom of the target. Oh, wow.
4: That's a big drop.
3: Yeah, yeah. So I was
4: like, wow. so So the one thing that...
3: I will say, so one of the things that I like about a standard blunt is that it doesn't penetrate, it bounces off. You know what I mean? The thing that you, you get more penetration with a slobber knocker. All right. it's It's moving faster and the front of it's not totally flat. So you, you don't have that flat, so much surface area to distribute, you know, it will, it depends on what you shoot it into, whether, but like squirrels, it, it knocks the hell out of them. That's what he, he loves shooting squirrels. He shoots them in his yard. He shoots them all day (laughs) and it does, it screws squirrels up. They're great for shooting squirrels because you can shoot them at, he's. He's hitting them at seventy yards. With these no things. kidding. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so anyway, that's my little slobber knocker plug. He, you can get them off of Lancaster uh, archery. They sell them there, and also uh, he has his own website to thump archery. Oh, get all him right. Straight there. Um, but anyway, I should. Market my own stuff, <laughs>
2: yeah. Because so, we we started talking about Ched Mendes and we, we were talking about that <laughs> okay. patent laws and it's like oh it's a here. But that's yeah. pretty interesting though. That's like your whole concept is you want to go from release for from the bow to the D loop and then back.
3: Yeah, yeah, instant access, and then um it also solves the problem of like how you used to always tie. I used to always tie my my wrist strap onto my bow so I wouldn't forget it because I mean every like you drive to the range and you're like oh <laughs> you we've know? all been there I, all I been
4: there it was here but it's not oh.
3: so then for years I always tied it to my to my bow and uh, by mounting you know the release on my bow I and especially my hunting bow my hunting bow has quiver you know arrows on it and so if I pick it up I can shoot like, I don't need anything. I don't got to go find anything. It's a, you know, I've had some people, potential customers that they're tree stand hunters and they were like, Oh, I like, they didn't really understand. So a lot of people think of it as just a storage device and some people just use it for that. And they love it. I've had some customers, they they mounted on the wrong side. So in order for you to be able to shoot, It has to be on the 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 quiver side of your bow, otherwise you'd have to switch hands to like get it and then switch hands again. Makes it awkward, yeah. Yeah, so you want it on this side. But I've had people mount it on the wrong side, but they they all they do is hunt tree stands, and they just want it their release on their bow, and they want to know it's there when they get there, <laughs> and then they take it Makes off sense. and they put it on the D loop, and they're happy. but uh if you're gonna go do like tack or you're shooting a range or you're walking around or you know just shooting like when i so when i shoot you know i'm i shoot and then i just put it back and i've learned the more i free up my hands because a lot of times with, you, you just keep it in your hand and you start trying to do some other task and you have this in your hand and you're not doing the task you were trying to do the way you would do it. You, it's just taking, it's just a pain. You're like, oh, I got this thing in my hand. I'm trying to do this. When all I had to do was just stick it in here real quick. you know. And so I've learned the more that I put it in here and free up my hands to do other things. It's like having someone standing next to you here, let me hold your release for you. Okay, thanks. Here, let me give it back to you. a <laughs> perfect you're, analogy. you go. <laughs> so, yeah, this, so my original idea, so this is the bow, this is the bow I was shooting when I came with the idea, and so, because I shoot a fixed sight, and I have a quiver that is a two-piece quiver, not a, not a single version that. So a lot of people, so this is what I found out after I invented the thing. And luckily I, I waited to do my patent. I put all these different ideas in, in my patent. Um, so this is bolted directly to my site. So the the site, the, the mount is designed to bolt directly to these auxiliary holes on a site. I see that. A lot of people bolt their tight spot quiver there. So then that's not accessible or they, they're running. a dovetail and there's a big knob um so for a lot of people that doesn't work but if, um it is become it might become a little more prevalent for people like that are now they're putting the the sights through the riser and those holes are open but it depends yeah. on the quiver that they're using if, if the quiver you know if the arrows go right over that spot then you can't really do it but, yeah, whether well,
2: they're uh, using a Matthews or a Hoyt, because they're pretty much the ones that are on par, because yeah. Hoyt uses the Piccaninny, and then then Matthews put that that, that rail right into the, the riser.
3: But for me, this is the ideal, the
2: best spot. The common user. That's what the, I see that being, that's my, both my, well, yeah, this one right here, my Elite has that set up front on my Tetra.
3: So this is the best, in my opinion, I'd love it right here, especially, I I don't dial this site, but uh, especially if you have a dial site, if you can have right here, because you can dial and then you just grab and shoot. It's like the most efficient hand movement. Like if you ever do any boxing, there's no, you don't want wasted movement. Like this is like the most efficient, like movement. And the other thing, the other reasons why I like it up here is it kind of, all your fragile expensive stuff is all right here besides your cams. So like if you're gonna like fall down <laughs> you you never planned on it, but like you know, you're gonna try and not slam your site. <laughs> you know what I mean? So yes, it just yes. keeps all your valuables in like one place that you're you know can kind of focus on. Plus like when I'm Doing spot and stock or whatever, or I'm like hiking around. I like seeing my release, just so I know, like, cause it's like I just don't want it to not, even though this thing holds it in there. Like I don't know, I just always like looking and knowing it's there <laughs> and seeing it, and I don't have to look down to take my eyes off of where I'm trying to hunt to like be like, okay, is my release still there? You know. So it's always how... it's always right where I can see it, and it's I just I just really like it like that. And so there's you there are ways of mounting it up here if you have a dovetail sight. Um, so if you have a tight spot quiver, if if you ask me, or you can get your own, but you can get longer bolts, and you can bolt the mount on top of the tight spot. Spot quiver metal bracket and oh, just put it right on smart. top of it. It just goes right through, and so you you can do that. And I have a few people doing that. And then I do. I was coming out with these clamps that go on the dovetail. There's, everyone's got different dovetails, so I was going to have to come out with like four or five versions um, of that. But then all these bow manufacturers came out with this new thing where the dovetail goes right into the riser and so i kind of want to see where that's going before i invest like i was telling you earlier how much it costs to buy a mold you know i could jump 20 20 grand into a mold (laughs) and if everybody goes a different way (laughs) then i just spent 20 grand and no it's you know you just gotta throw that's yeah that's 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 another uh issue is you know if i was to dump $20,000 or $10,000 into a mold for a release, like the Stan Perfects, which apparently they stopped selling these. Oh, no kid! Yeah, they went with the Onyx. I didn't realize that they obsoleted this, but someone was just telling me, they're like, oh, yeah, the Perfects is obsolete now. They've sold enough of them to where I could probably, if, if I made a mold, I could probably still make my money back just on the amount that's out in the world. But, like, on another release that maybe didn't have a bunch of volume, a little more of an oddball release, if I dumped the money into it, and and they said, oh, we're going to come out with a new release, like, I could end up eating that. So, that's what's nice about having the machined versions. The machined versions are nice. For one, like, I don't have the huge startup cost with the mold. I can get them out there and get them in people's hands. And then if there's a design change, I need to make changing a mold cost a couple thousand dollars. They got to remachine it, or you know, it'd be a lot of money. With the machine versions, like I just change the drawing, and the next time I order them, it's different. So Correct. it allows yeah. me to do development before I sink a bunch of money into a mold. Um, right yeah. now, I only have like I told you, I only have one mold. But uh, what I should Talk about so kind of exciting. So, I don't shoot a hinge release, and I see tons of people shooting a hinge.
2: <laughs> yeah, that's um, uh, what is it? <laughs>
3: this is the oh, ultra just, view, right yeah, because Ultraview,
2: yeah. Yeah, Ultraview yeah. just came out with a new um, uh, site for HHA that mounts onto their tetra sites. I thought that, but oh, it's okay. like it's a 300 hundred uh, dollar
3: scope, and it's like, mm,
2: no, it's a little, that's that's that's, that's a lot.
3: So uh, when I was at uh, TAC in Utah last year, I met some some good people from Texas, uh, and uh, one of the kids he shot the Ultra View, and uh, he's like, "Dude, he's, he's like, you got to make one for the Ultra View." And I was like, "Yeah, I know. I see on you know on Instagram, you know everyone's like Ultra View." <laughs> you know? So I'm like, yes. you know, it's like that and the you know John Dudley stuff you know, are big, yeah. big sellers. Mm-hmm. So, I, you know, the first one I came out with was for the knock to it, but it actually, it actually fit uh, also the wise choice and the first choice, which worked out good. Cause it just, you know, multiplied the amount of people I could get out of one, you know, one oh, version. That's, that's beautiful. But uh, so one of the issues, well, I guess I should, in order to explain that I'll have to show you. So, uh, so basically what I do is, you know, most of these releases have I can't really see them, it's black. Let me get this one. Here we go. So most of these releases have a steel jaw and then a steel reset button. So you can't really, unless you were to design it custom release and a custom, you like it'd have to you kind of need two magnets to hold like one magnet. It'll just fall out. Yes. Yes. Um, so the, you, you need the two magnets. So my original design, you know, I've had a magnet on the front and then a magnet on the back. And then I capture it, you know, with the, the way the mounts designed. And, uh, but there's a lot of people that shoot all these different tons of different releases. And so Every hinge, no no hinge has a reset button on it that I know of. Uh, so, you know, you have your steel jaw in the front, but there's nothing in the back. Well, they have their, uh, they call it the hunting bracket. I'm not sure how it helps you hunting, but uh, it gives me the opportunity to put hardware because they, they have this big slot here. So basically if you were, if you have an ultra view and you, so these are going to be coming, these aren't out yet. These are, these should be ready at the beginning of next month. This will be my ultra view mount. This is a 3d printed prototype right here. The a right real one's see coming. Um, but uh, yeah, so you, you add this little hardware that I'll give to you to the hunting bracket and that will line up with that magnet there. Beautiful. And boom, then you uh, turn that and lock it in. So I designed this. So this is a large, this is the first version. So I, I made the prototype and I sent it to the kid in Texas that uh, I met at TAP to have him evaluate it, you know. And so he was super stoked. Well, he's like a lot of people out there that constantly change releases. So he he bought the new ultra view <laughs>
4: <laughs> yeah
3: so he he wasn't shooting this version he's shooting the ultra view two and he's shooting a medium and this is a large and so it actually proved to be an issue he told me it was thicker so i made it you know i planned on it you know working that way but uh the the medium size difference became a problem but he sent me some pictures and i uh i basically adjusted a few things on it and so it does work. You know, I sent him a new mount after, you know, he told me what was going on and I made some changes. And so this will work with the uh the medium, you know, the hinge two and you know it should work with the large, you know, for all four. So that helps. Uh yeah, it's it'd be way too expensive. Like every version cost me a lot of money, even the machine versions, because I have to buy it. In order to get the machine price down, you have to buy a hundred. And so you gotta come up with that money all at one time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's <laughs> so basically all the money I make from this goes into making a new design. You know, because there's just um constantly people are like, What about this one? What about that one?
2: <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, uh... We we had a conversation about the four fingered edge, and I, I I showed you a with a magnet oh, I used yeah, that yeah. were where it's like it has the reset pin and the jaws itself for steel, so you can you can it mounts there so you can you know, connect there, and then on the back where, where the where
4: that uh, let me actually just grab it here real fast.
3: Yeah, I remember you. Uh...
2: Yeah, because you, you got the, the jaws right here. These are actually yeah, steel. Yeah. But then you have the cylinder back here that actually is metal, too, as well. Uh, yeah, yeah.
3: So I could no. make something happen with that.
2: Yeah, so yeah, this right yeah. here. Yep, so you get them out, and then you got this right here. So it'll, it'll, if, it it likes to travel down, but uh, it's, uh, it's there you go. Or you could do something on the top as well. So it's like you, you have an opportunity to put the magnet someplace. So this way then, but everything else, as you can tell, it's, It's all aluminum. So,
3: the biggest obstacle to me coming out, or at least designing new mounts, is buying the releases. (laughs) That is so true. (laughs) So, I spent, so this, I knew, so I recognized that I was sort of working in the dark, doing one at a time. I realized that there's like overlap. So, it's possible to make, everyone wants, You know, if I had a magic wand, that's what I would have made is one mount that works with everything. You know, that's like the holy grail. But all the releases are so different. I would like you'd have to adjust every it it would become a Mr. Potato Head. And then it would have a million parts and you'd have to adjust it and they would fall apart. And, you know, it's it actually it's going to work better for the customer if it's designed to work with the release. But there are some that do overlap. And uh, so I recognize this in order to make my customers and myself happy, because if I can make one work for multiple, everyone's happy. That is so (laughs) So true. Yeah. I bought $1,300 worth of releases, uh, you know, and... I was able to come up with this. This is should be ready this week. Uh, and this is my new mount, and I call it the JBC. <laughs> it's a, for a Carter, uh, and I call it the Just Be Chocolate. So I don't know if you know anything about Carter releases. They have, like, there's a million of them. Yes, they are. Uh, and, and they have one that's called the the Just Because. Oh, all right. And so I was able to figure out that by buying all these different releases that these three were similar enough that I could make it work for all three. Beautiful. So the the J this will I think make a lot of people happy and, and including myself. <laughs> yeah. And I might be able to get an ejection for it. Injection yeah. Mold. Yeah. This one, cause there should be enough volume with all these different versions that it would be worth doing the injection mold for. Um, so yeah, it works with the chocolate addiction. I've had a few people, I ran into people at TAC and like, I know people, a lot of people like that. It works with the chocolate light. Um, and the, just because man. that's awesome. <laughs> So, I yeah, saw that, that
2: you made a true fire one, but I don't think the components on the four finger edge and the true fire one that you made for actually have enough components to make it backwards compatible. The nice no, thing is like no. I bought this in 2018 and they're still making this They're hundred dollars for the,
3: for the, the, the release. Yeah. So great. I want to, and I, I absolutely need to do that. And this is where I need to bring my business. I mean, I'm, I'm I kind of started at the, the top high-end expensive realm but really i should be at the cheaper high volume realm you know what i mean so like you're saying those are a hundred dollars there's probably a million of them out there (laughs) yeah
2: this is this is my second or third one because i put it on my d loop and it gets snagged on something and then i lose it
3: yeah yeah so eventually at some point like i want to start i don't know if they you know, it depends on the company and, you know, their interest or whatever. They might just tell me to go pound sand. But if if they're interested, I wouldn't mind working with them. And at some point, you might be buying your release with the mount. You know what I mean? It'll come with it, you know.
2: That would that would be fantastic, you know, to go with it. I know Fair owns True Fire, and they own a couple other different ones too. So that's pretty much and they're out of Superior. Well, that's where their distribution center is. I think everything else they make is out of China, so or the Philippines, or the, or one one of the three because that's where they don't they don't manufacture up there. But that I've been to their their location up there, and it seems like nice guys. I guess you have to probably. I wonder if Chris Ham may know them because it'd probably be a good way to get in contact with them. Yeah, so
3: I, at some point I have to. I was I wanted to go this last year but i spent all my money on elk hunt <laughs> 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 and i got my first elk so <laughs> congratulations that's not, awesome not complaining <laughs> and actually i know uh the bow hitch guys and uh matrix target they both okay. went to the ata i met the, the owner of matrix targets at tax super nice guy like one of the best dudes in the world yeah um, armando's coming on the podcast here in the future as well yeah, he happened to just contact me. I guess he just saw my stuff on Instagram and he said he really liked my stuff and he just wanted some pointers. And I was like, well, I don't know if I'm the guy to give you pointers. I've been doing this like six months. <laughs> 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 but, yeah, they're really good, good people. Um, and so I think, yeah, I told them to, I think they met each other at uh, the the ATA because I told them, I'm like, hey, I know you and you know, you know, You guys should meet up. And so I think they did. But uh, yeah, I wanted to go. That's what I have to do is I have to go to the ATA and spend. Oh, it's probably probably cost me about four grand to get a booth there. All right. Uh, But it'll be worth it just for the experience and, uh, you know, go check it out and everything. I'm still getting into the booth world. So I have a nine to five job and I only get so much vacation and I only got so much money to spend on. (laughs) <laughs> travel yeah you know.
2: i know I, I know I the feeling
3: pick my battles but i was able to do uh you know i did two total archery challenges in 2020 during the pandemic um i went to uh, south dakota and then i went to uh utah and so my original plan was uh deadly
4: yes yeah
3: yeah <laughs> So I'm like, I really, I'm like, okay, if I, you know, this, if I give it to him and he goes, hey, if I look at this. Like, I'll be like, okay, I'll bring the dump truck full amounts <laughs> so you can sell them.
2: <laughs> yeah, because if you get to Dudley, then you can get the Joe Rogan effect. Because I had a guest yeah. on my podcast, Jay Butler, and he got it, his knife got out to the bow rack. Well, the, then the bow then then uh, Cam Haynes got his knife, and then Cam Haynes <laughs> introduced to Joe Rogan, and now he works full time so it's like so yeah, the, yeah. It, the rogan effect is is real yeah yeah kind of like with the uh, shure mics i mean sure was just a, a really good quality overall but then they got the rogan effect cuz this is one a version of what rogan uses and they've skyrocketed 30
3: 40% yeah so my original plan was to so i didn't get the mold yet cuz i was like okay i want to show this to dudley see what he says he might want to change something so I don't want to sink 20 grand into a mold and then have him go, Oh, it should be like this. <laughs> you know That's what I mean? So true. Yes. <laughs> so I was like, okay, I just had this. Is, I first started, I just had some 3d prints. So I went to South Dakota. Well, it turns out he doesn't go to the South Dakota shoot, but I still had a great time. Made awesome contacts. Um, and, uh, T and K hunting gear. I'm sure you're familiar with those yes, guys. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. He's, he's, guys. he's a good dude. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, in Buckstorm and and yeah I didn't Ben wasn't there but uh yeah next time I go to South Dakota i will we'll stop by and see Ben um so then uh I went to Utah and he was there I got to show it to him he was definitely intrigued he was like uh-huh. <laughs> you know and he was definitely intrigued and I gave him my card and then I I came back the next he was super busy like everyone's like trying to talk to him and I just, I just got to talk to him for like two seconds you know i was like i'm like i just want to show you this i was like boom boo. he's like whoa <laughs> he's like oh i gotta go you know and i was like oh i didn't tell him i want him to sell it
4: <laughs> <laughs> yeah
3: <laughs> so i came back the next day and then i showed him my uh silverback mount and uh he's like oh okay you know and i talked to him for a little bit And, uh, I left him my number my card and he never called me. And I was like, Oh crap. (laughs) Is he going to come out with his own version or what? As long as you have it patented, you're, you're still under, I was still, it was still patent pending at the time. And I, I, there's, I've heard you can, you know, if you tweak one thing, you can, you know, I tried to make my patents, and I did, I, I like, I have like one of the biggest, like my patent attorneys are pr- impressed. <laughs> He's like, I've never seen this before. <laughs> I put so much stuff into it. They broke it into 12 patents. Wow. That's yeah, impressive. So I tried to block out everything. <laughs> yeah,
2: because your <laughs> biggest competitor as eventually become possible. China.
3: So I don't know if I'm going to go for all of them because it costs money, but I'm definitely, there's, there's some definite cherries in there that I'm trying to pick off. But eventually they did call me uh, after I already had my website and things were actually going pretty good. uh, They reached some guy on Instagram that knows them, hit me up and was like, hey, they want to talk to you. And at that time, so I have a Shopify website and uh, the default website has no contact page on it and I didn't really realize it. So there was no way for anyone to contact <laughs> unless they knew my email or whatever, you know, and uh, I was like, oh, crap. So I had to look on YouTube and watch a video on how to add the contact page onto my Shopify. <laughs> so I fixed that so people could actually get a hold of me now. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I talked to them and they were interested but they were so One of the issues is like for the silverback. The silverback is. It doesn't have a thumb. You know, it doesn't have the reset button. Okay. So. So ideally what they would want. And I would want to. If I could make it happen. But it's impossible. (laughs) Is one mount that works for both the silverback. And the Noctuit. And I ended up. After our conversation, I left them their vice president a message, and I was like, well, you know, I can make these things happen, but you'd have to change the design of, like, the Silverback release to make it work, you know? So what I've done with the Silverback release, I don't have one in front of me, is, uh, oh, I have this. This is basically the same thing. Uh, So this is the Evo 20. All right. Basically, a silverback, you cut this off, and that's a silverback. Oh, all right. (laughs) And you turn it silver. (laughs) (laughs) Well, so the original, so that's what the original version of the silverback was. And so if you look on this one side, the original version had big flathead screws. And uh, I knew the silverback was super popular. And one of the guys, when I first started this, he had one and he let me take it home. He actually, he told me it was the s- same as the knock to it. So my original mount that was supposed to be for the knock to it. I designed, I tried to design using a silverback, and they people say they're this, they're not, nothing sort of the same. That doesn't it doesn't work. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, <laughs> like they look similar, but like look at the jaw on this and the jaw on that and then like the profile is different and there's yes. no reset button like for, for mount purposes of making a mount they're totally two different fish so anyway uh, I was able to make a mount for the silverback by just having a magnet that would attract to that hardware
4: there we go okay
3: and uh it worked with the first version, and then they came out. Then I bought a Silverback, and they changed from the big flathead screws to these socketed cap screws. And I was like, oh, no. Is that going to screw it all up? But it still worked fine. Oh, except for they uh, they changed it to a stainless steel screw Ooh. for some reason. And the stainless steel is not magnetic. So when you buy the Silverback mount, it comes with a, an, a screw. I give you two just in case you lose one. And you just change that screw and then it works. Oh that's um, simple compromise. But then they came out with the third version of the Silverback, <laughs> uh, the Silverback Plus, and they basically added a lanyard hole. Okay. And then they moved the screw, it doesn't even exist. So I was like, oh, I'm hosed now. But I came up with a way. I Maybe mean, I should run upstairs and go get that bad boy. Um, Good
4: point. Okay,
3: so here is a silverback. I see that. And that's, this is like the second version, has socket head cap screws. Uh, and then this is the silverback plus.
4: So it has there a it lanyard hole. So what
3: I do is I give you a piece of tubing and a flathead screw. And you, push the tubing into the hole just till it gets to the other side. And then you screw the screw into the tubing. I see that. And then uh, it's totally flat. Like it doesn't stick up at all.
4: And that gives you
3: a nice bit. That's so, awesome. Then, so you don't have to, by doing this, you don't have to drill, modify. You're not, harming the release you could take this apart and like your release is identical you know you don't have to do anything you know tool wise to your release so i thought that was a really clever good you know yeah way of doing
2: uh, that my uh, uh true ball max Pro plus they put in a lanyard hole for it and they can it comes with lanyard but i took the lanyard off because i don't like the lanyard it's like well it's like that's i just it's a wrist strap without the actual all the stuff with so then if you ever were yeah. to make a, a mount for that particular one well then you already have the, the fix for it
3: so yeah so if the release has a lanyard hole i could potentially make it work um so i actually did this so this is a the stand perfects and uh so this is the thumb button version. So if you buy one of my mounts, it actually just attracts to the reset button in here. But they they make the uh, resistance version. Okay. It looks just like this, except for there's no thumb. There's no reset, so it wouldn't work in the mount. It would fit in the mount, but it would just fall out. And so I was like, okay, well, there's got to. But it has a lanyard hole. You won't see the lanyard hole because. So what I did. There's a little it's a really small button head screw, and then there's a nut that just sits flat right there. I see that. So uh, so I do make mounts. I haven't put them on my website yet. I have a couple people using it. Um, so basically, if you add this hardware, I get rid of the the one magnet and I put a, a magnet that's on the body. And then, so a lot of people shoot resistance and thumbs. I don't. I just stick to one. <laughs> yeah, I just shoot <laughs> thumbs too. I, I, haven't, I haven't developed target panic, so that's why I see why they have the back tension release. So, with this setup, you could use the same mount and have it work with your resistance and your thumb. Um, and so, I'm still playing with this. You know, so, yeah, I'm not sure if I want to make, go that direction with all of, well, now they don't even make the stands. Perfect. Now they're on the Onyx. And it doesn't have a lanyard hole. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't know where. Stan has so many curveballs. I really love their stuff. And I, I, I know a lot of people use them. And I want to make mounts. For, I'll get to the stands. So there is a... I have a couple people trying they're using like a sx3 and the shoot off will fit in the three wiseman mount and sometimes I got to push the magnet stick it out a little bit farther and it works just fine but you can kind of like wiggle it around I did a little video uh, for somebody about it but I just like everything to be tight you know so I kind of want to come out with one specifically for it so that way it's tight but the, the problem is that they make three different sizes of the release, you know, and then there's different versions. And so it's like, I, I almost need to buy like a thousand dollars worth of stands <laughs> and come up with a mouth. Yeah. They're, they're not making my life easy.
2: <laughs> no, they're not. It's like you almost need to start uh, donating plasma at biolifer or some type of a program like that.
3: Well, one thing that I've, I've I've gotten lucky. I haven't had to do it recently because I was able for the JBC mount, I was able just to tweak my uh, three Wiseman and eyeball it. Um, but one thing that I did do is uh, my buddy owns a sheet metal shop and he actually makes my, uh, the, the sheet metal brackets. And uh, it's a really big fancy shop. And uh, when I was visiting once, they have this inspection table. It's a big glass table and it's got like a laser scanner in it. So when they're making parts, they can just set them on the glass table and it'll measure them. Oh, beautiful. And, uh, and then it puts out a file that it compares to like a drawing or a solid model or something like that. So, uh, at one point I took like five releases down there and I had to take like the thumb button off. So it'd sit flat. And uh, we just put them on there and scanned them. And then I was able to make 3D models of the release and then design the mount to fit it instead of just eyeballing everything and printing over and over and again. And uh, that helped a lot. Um, That's all part of the design. So back to like the Chad story. So part of so my initial plan was. to, To meet Dudley and I didn't know if I would meet him at TAC. I'd never been to attack. Okay. And I knew Chad knew Dudley. And so, and I wanted to go on a hunt. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Um, but I was like looking at his website and I was like, man, all these things are like super expensive. You know, I can't afford this one. I can't afford that one. And I, but I kept going back to his website and looking and looking and looking. And then I noticed that he had this Indiana whitetail hunt and it
4: was only I forget what the exact price. It was like less than $3,000. And I was like, and it was for almost a week. Like
3: (laughs) it was at least five days, five or six days. And you get to, you got to stay at Brad Miller's, Lodge in Indiana and Dan Henderson, the UFC fighter, was gonna be there.
2: Oh no shit. So That's pretty cool. I was
3: like, and it was on my birthday. <laughs> even
4: better. Merry Christmas. Happy
3: and birthday. I was like, holy cow, I think I think it was less than three thousand dollars. I think it was like a little over two or something. It wasn't that bad. Like I looked, I mean, you couldn't hunt a deer in California for that price.
2: <laughs> no, no, you couldn't. Not even in Wisconsin, you, you
3: know? couldn't even get that price. Yeah, I was like, oh, this is this is worth doing, you know, and then I'm like, oh, I'll get to meet Chad and I can show him my thing, you know, and if, if you know if I don't run into Dudley, it's a good plan B, you know so uh,
4: so i
3: I bought the hunt, and I was I ended up getting Chad's phone number as you know, paying him and all this stuff. and uh oh, I ended up sending him a. I, I a meme i made this meme <laughs> like uh you know the matrix uh morpheus okay where he's like uh what if i told you <laughs> oh yes the <laughs> you know? pill blue pill scene yeah <laughs> i made a uh, this meme that said what if i told you you didn't have to put your release in your pocket anymore <laughs> 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 and i sent it to chad because i had his phone number <laughs> and he, he's i figured he was gonna be like oh, what's this guy you know is he smoking drugs or something <laughs> and i'm like you ready to see it and he's like he's like, oh yeah show me what you got you know and so I, I went and i just made a little uh video i took my gopro up to my hunting spot and i did a video just to, just so i could send it to chad and he was instantly like, "Oh, dude, that's badass! I want one." I was like, "Yeah," <laughs> and so then like I was texting him, you know, every once in a while, and stuff like that. And then uh, I was like, "Oh, you know, I can't wait," you know, for Indiana. He's like, "Oh, I'm not going," and I was like, "What?" <laughs> so if you look at his hunts, they they schedule certain. He he doesn't do every hunt because he's but he has celebrities. So Dan Henderson, he had two... I'm like, oh, well, okay, Dan Henderson's going to be there. And then also uh, Brad Miller. I don't know if you know who Brad Miller is. I didn't know who he was. It doesn't
2: ring a bell, but it's like I've probably seen him.
3: So he, is he a UFC fighter? No, no. He played on the Sacramento Kings. Chad lives up by Sacramento. He's a basketball player, really tall, white kid from Indiana. He... And... Uh, He's like super into hunting, and he's actually—he had his own hunting TV show. No kidding, <laughs> Country Boy Outdoors. Yeah, and I, I never—I'm like I never heard of him, you know. And then, uh, and he's good friends with uh, some other outdoor TV show people. Uh, I forget what the i forget the name of their uh, TV show is. But if you watch those hunting shows, they're on there all the time. I, I just clicked on the TV last night and I see this gun sticking out of a blind and it's got this uh, like a limb saver on the barrel. And I'm like, oh, that's got to be Brad. Sure enough. <laughs> He's the only person I ever seen with one of those things. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I got to go out there. And so anyway, uh, Chad's, I spent a week out there and uh, I got to show Brad Miller. and. And, uh, Chad's business, Chad has a business partner, Mike, who's a really good dude. And, uh, so I basically, you know, hung out all week with Mike and Chad and Dan and a few other hunters and, uh, you know, Mike was like, like, dude, it's a sweet idea. And Chad's, so I've been talking with Chad and he is super interested in like repping my mountain, blowing me up. And I'm all, I'm all about it, um, but I'm, it almost sounds dumb. <laughs> I'm like, no, don't blow me up. <laughs> I, I I'm i trying to like ramp, you know, if he blows me up too fast, I, I can't do my job, <laughs> which sounds like, you know, just quit your job. Well, I, I just got a new job and I make stupid money <laughs> and my job uh-huh. <laughs> and it would be as much money as i could make with this it would be i need to at least i gotta time it right so i can transition out of what i do and have this viable to take over what i make you know what i mean <laughs> yeah exactly because you,
4: you live in california don't you yeah yeah, yeah ain't cheap no no
3: it'll it'll get there but like it actually works out because like You know, before I got this new job, I was kind of like, you know, betting on this to take off, and then I was going to quit my other job and and do that, which is not a bad plan, (laughs) Um, but now that I got the new job, it's like, now this is more of a, just kind of like, I have to, I'm like, okay, I have to be serious about the new job, and this is more of on the back burner fun thing. Okay. Um, it's still growing. Like I had my best month last month. Um and it's like all of my sales are pretty much generated by people showing other people. Okay. Like, it sells itself. Like um so that's a good thing.
4: <laughs> yeah I know. It's like after
3: seeing ben's it's like if you made one for mine. It's like I already have one. <laughs> So the the thing that I'm, i I've found out though, as great of an invention it is, and as good as it sells itself, is people, it's a little bit out of the so far out of the box that people don't understand it, especially when they see a, just a picture of it. They're just like, oh, it's a thingy that holds your release. They don't know that it's magnetic, right? Like it doesn't scream, hey, I'm magnetic, and this is how I work. Like it's Total different reaction when I'm at the archer range and I show somebody versus like somebody, like I've hit people up on Instagram. I see they have the knock to it. I'm like, dude, I have the mount for you. And they're like, get out of here. (laughs) You know. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm like, but every time I show someone, they want to buy it. (laughs) I gotta get it. You know, so there's this gap, you know, you just need it it's also you know depends on who's telling you like if chad gets on there and says you can buy this and people will be like oh, I
4: got to buy it right
2: that is so true that is so true
3: <laughs> but if i say it they're like who's this guy i'm not buying that thing <laughs> <laughs> but yeah luckily it, uh, it it sells itself um so i do have i just have become sort of friends with uh, so last year I did park city tech in Utah and that's, I didn't realize I had done, uh, a, you know, two in South Dakota. And then I did, uh, snow basin during the pandemic, which was in Utah. Cause they, they couldn't do park city and it was a big event. And so I'd never done park city until last year. And that's like a whole nother level. It was crazy. And there's a lot of famous people there, um, and so the one morning, the Black Rifle Coffee Company was there. Okay. And they had their tent, and they give away free coffee. Imagine that. <laughs> <laughs> so I had some. Uh, I was like, I had a later, a little later knock time, and I was walking around. I try to find people, be like, "Hey, check this out," you know. <laughs> and. Uh, I was like, well, I'm going to go get some coffee. You know, I've got time to kill. And so I went to the tent and they're like, oh, the coffee's not ready. It'll be like, you know, 10, 15 minutes, you know, and we'll have some coffee. And they had this big, huge tent with all these chairs. And there was like seven or eight, you know, people hanging out in there. Nobody that I, well, actually Evan, the owner, Evan. Evan Hafer. Yeah. He was there. Um, He was the only guy I recognized. And then, uh. So I was like, oh, okay, I'll hang out in the Black Rifle coffee tent for a while, you know? So I hung out for a while and eventually I was like, hey guys, check this out. You know, and Evan was like, oh man, I gotta get one of those. Uh, you know, we had a, a good conversation. I had a good conversation with a few people. Um, well, one person that was in there, which, you know, I didn't really, he was just someone in the tent. I didn't, he ended up buying, amount like a month or two later he just ordered it and uh i didn't even put it together so when when i saw the order i saw the name and i'm like hey that name sounds really familiar okay let me get on instagram and look that up dallas Hemmeyer, and i'm like oh he's got like i'd have to look at it he's got I don't know, 30,000, more than 30,000, 80,000 followers. He's got a lot of followers. <laughs> Gnarly. Nice. I was like, oh, man, this guy's getting a free
4: hat for sure. <laughs>
3: <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, I sent him a mouth and a hat. And uh, he, like, messaged me on Instagram. And he's like, dude, I freaking love this thing. I was like, oh, sweet. And then uh, he went and shot an elk. With John Dudley. (laughs) And, uh, or maybe that wasn't with Dudley. He did with Dudley once. I'm not sure if that one was with Dudley. Uh, But uh, he's, he's like, he's into photography and film. He does, he films all these high-end hunts in like Africa and all this stuff. That's all he does is follow people around and film their hunts. And he has his own like YouTube channel and stuff like that
2: um Adam Green Tree I know he's an avid archer and he, he's yeah,
3: he's, yeah. He's, he's a genius so anyway this, uh, so Dallas knows all these people like he knows Dudley the black he's like in with the black rifle he knows everybody I have no idea <laughs> so he was just at I just seen on his Instagram I was like him and Chad he, I think he knows Chad Um they were all at I don't know if you saw the uh What's everyone got the Traeger grills? Traeger just had some big launch party. Um, I guess it was in Utah. Yeah, I'm pretty sure it was in Utah. And uh, they had ZZ Top play. They had it was the most extravagant event i have ever seen i wasn't there i just seen pictures of it online i'm like oh my god i'm like i want to be part of the trigger <laughs> you know <laughs> but anyway good connection to have so anyway dallas loves the mount he's taken pictures some of the pictures on my you know instagram and you know i post them in my videos like he he put he took a picture of his elk with the with the mount you know on his bow and everything and that's uh, awesome he uh so i was have been talking to him and he like he's like oh yeah my wife designed stickers so his wife designed. i don't know if you've seen the stickers that i started including uh i maybe i should go grab them real quick because they're pretty bitching <laughs> i had people actually they actually wanted like I I think I've had a couple of people buy mounts just to get the sticker.
4: <laughs> <laughs> That's
3: awesome.
4: <laughs> so let's see yeah, these so, badass boy these these stickers.
3: So Dallas's wife is a uh, they're both artists, and uh, one of the things she does is she designs stickers and stuff. And so I was talking to Dallas, and he's like, "Yeah, you want me to design a sticker?" And he's like, "What?" Well, And so I actually use. I'm like, yeah, use the picture that you took, you know, and make a sticker. So his wife makes this sticker. Oh, there it is. Yeah, I've seen that on. I've seen that on your Instagram feed. (laughs) And then uh, we he wanted to do a giveaway, and it was right when Dudley came out with his gold knock to it. Okay. And like, oh, okay, that's what we got to do. So uh, I bought a gold knock to it, and then he uh, he had his wife make some uh, some gold knock to it stickers.
2: Oh, those are pretty. Those those are really nice renders.
3: Yeah, yeah. And then like you know we got the regular, regular AOT
4: <laughs> logo.
3: <laughs> but yeah, anyway, uh, I've been talking with Dallas a lot, and uh, so he happened to mention or something i didn't realize i knew he did the filming of hunts but i guess he also offers some guided hunts and i was like oh really i'm like i want to go hunt with dallas yeah (laughs) why not so uh, i looked at his website or whatever and uh he does I'm not sure what all the stuff he he offers, but the one that I'm going to go on is a, it's a axis deer hunt in Texas. Oh, fun. Yeah. And it's like in July and that's kind of, and it's, and we're doing it with a bow. So, um, so yeah, that should be a lot of fun. I'll finally get to like, hang out with them and talk, you know, face to face and just, uh, yeah, it, it'll be, I never really, so until I started doing this mouth thing, like I never really traveled a whole bunch, you know, I grew up in California. I drove, I would go to Oregon. Uh, I drove up to Montana a couple times. I had some friends that moved up there, but that's kind of the only loop <laughs> that I ever did. Um, and then, uh, you know, since, You know, I could start trying to write this stuff off on my taxes. (laughs) That is true. I got a business license now. Uh, (laughs) Then I started doing, you know, I went to South Dakota twice, fell in love with that place. I was like, I want to move here.
2: (laughs) It is definitely gorgeous. Like Montana is like the place to be because of all of the animals you get to hunt.
3: Yeah, yeah. So I've never, I've landed in Texas on like a layover, but I've never like, done anything in texas or been anywhere so this will be my first texas experience um so i'm looking forward to that and so anyway uh this is kind of like a big loop so when i did the hunt in indiana i met this guy parker who's from texas he was one of the hunters and i sold him one of my prototypes uh it was funny uh so he showed up late and uh, we'd already hunted a couple days and he just kind of showed up and then we like went hunting the next morning and you know, and then we he came back, we're all hanging out at the lodge, and they're like, hey, show Parker your thing. <laughs> I'm like, okay, I run downstairs, go grab it, come back up. Okay. And uh, it turns out he shot a knock to it, and that's what you know I had. My first one was for the knock to it. And I'm like, you know, here, check it out. And he's like dude, he's like, all morning I was in this tree stand wishing I had something like this. <laughs> so he's like, I will buy this right now. <laughs> I <was> like, yes! <laughs> so anyway, he bought it and uh, and then he went back to Texas, and uh, but we stayed in touch and we were all going to go back the next year, but the stuff happened. He couldn't make it and then Ended up, everyone ended up flaking out, so we we ended up not going back to Indiana. But uh, I happened to be texting him last year about Indiana. I'm like, hey, excited, you know? It's only six months away. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know. <laughs> and he's like, he's like, hey, uh, did I invite you on the elk hunt? And I was like, no. He's like, you want to go elk hunting? And I was like, well, yeah, but I got no money and I got no vacation. (laughs) So, you know, I don't know how that's going to (laughs) work. And he's like, oh, dude, you got to go. He's like, you know, one of the guys, because he had to, he set up the hunt already and you have to have like three hunters. And uh, one of the people bailed out. So his Ah. whole hunt was kind of like, you know, dependent on someone else filling the void. And I was like, oh, uh, I'm like, I'm like, I want to go, but I can't commit to, you know, I'm like, I don't got the money. Like, this is not good. I'm trying to do the business. <laughs> I can't, you know, it's like taking all my money and I, I can't just be like, oh yeah, I'm going to, you know, go on this extravagant ill cut. And he, he's a salesman and he's, you know, he, does pretty well he's got a couple companies and stuff like that but he's like he wouldn't let up and then eventually he's like i'll tell you what i'll pay a thousand bucks towards your hunt if you go and this is for a hunt in new mexico at like a place that they film tv shows at <laughs> and i had never shot an elk so i was like okay it looks like i'm going elk hunting <laughs>
2: <laughs> That's awesome,
3: so I put it all just about all of it on my credit card. I had like a few thousand bucks that I was able to kick in cash, but then the rest was like all i I think I'm just about finished paying it off. <laughs> but uh, it worked out. It was my first time I've been to New Mexico, and uh I ended up getting an elk and a bear.
2: That's awesome, man. That's fucking sweet.
3: Yeah, yeah. There's a a video I put it. I was able to film me getting the bear myself, and then I could have filmed me shooting the elk, but I I just filmed after. <laughs> I was like, I'm not screwing this up. I'm like, screw the camera. I'm just shooting this thing. <laughs> I like, don't
2: blame
4: you.
3: <laughs> and uh, but I I could have. Definitely filmed it, but I just didn't want to like, I'm like, that's not my priority right now. <laughs> it was crazy. Uh so I mean it wasn't easy, even though we were, you know, at this you know, world famous place. I mean, we hunted hard. It was like on the sixth day. You know, it was there was like another day or two before the end of the hunt. Um, and I was the only one that got one. Wow. wow. It was like the only sh- opportunity. And so it was a weird bull. It wasn't like a you know everyone was like, six by six. So we were uh, we were on top of this hill. We had had we had bugled some in before, and they would come right up. You couldn't see them, but you could hear them, and they were bugling. And then the wind would switch, and they would oh, you know just ruin it. And so we'd ran, we'd had some encounters in that spot before, and so we we. Came in and we hiked in a little further. Normally we kind of drove all the way in, but we this time we kind of hung parked back and then we walked in and uh we sat down and he's the guy bugled and not a peep, no, no noise, nothing. We're like, oh okay, let's just get up and move, you know, down the ridge farther. And we stand up and there's an elk standing there looking at us. <laughs> We're like <laughs> and the elk's like oh. <laughs> he turns around and trots off and we're like oh dude he was right there he was coming right in but he just wasn't making any noise you know and it was amazing like his walk like he didn't snap a twig nothing like thing was like just totally silent and so but it, it looked like uh, what they call a raghorn. We saw, like, it had one big spike on one side. And then it looked like it had, like, a like, three on the other side or something. It was kind of like a weird. It wasn't like, you know, oh, six by six trophy, you know. Yes. But, uh, you know, on day six, I'm like, I'll shoot that son of a <laughs> <Hey>. <laughs> And, uh and the guy's like really because like you know they get a lot of high-end guys that you know they ain't shooting nothing under a what 340 or what you know i, I can't even tell what a 340 is it's
2: so. <laughs> usually it's usually a, like a six by five six by six a five yeah, by yeah. 5 they're pretty big
3: i'm just like it's an elk if it's brown it's down <laughs> <laughs>
2: that's a good old iowa mentality right there
3: so anyway uh He's, he's like, you'll shoot it? And I'm like, oh, no, yeah, you get that thing anywhere near me. It's dead. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. It's- so he's like, okay, go down the hill, and then I'll try to call him in. So I went down the hill, stood next to a tree, and he starts bugling, and cow calling. And a couple of minutes later, that sucker pops out of the bushes. And, like, still, like, I never heard a sound of twig break the thing moved like a ghost and he just slowly came in and uh i thought he was 30 yards he was a little bit quartered away
4: okay and he was coming up the hill
3: and i didn't want him to go past me because i felt like if he went past me he was gonna he would smell like it would yeah Yeah, I thought something would happen. The party was going to be over. Well, so I thought he was at 30 yards. It turns out he was at like 20, like, because my shot hit a little high. He was at like 20. (laughs) Because I had ranged a tree. I had ranged a bunch of trees. And I knew the one tree was at 30 or whatever. And, like, I think he walked past it. (laughs) And so he was more at like 20 um, But he was right there, and uh, I put an arrow right in that sucker. It went all the way up to the fletchings. And, nice. Uh, it started staggering right away, and I was like, "Oh, that's perfect!" Like, you know, a lot of times when you hit them, they just sprint off, and then you're like, "Oh, what's going to happen?" You know, are we ever going to find it? You know. So when you started staggering and not running off, I was like, "Oh, this is perfect. He's going down." And so he turned around, and he kind of just, like, drunk and staggered a little ways. And then he laid down, like, within 60 yards. And uh, I probably could have kept shooting more arrows at him, but I kind of learned when I shot the bear, I kept missing. The first shot I made on the bear I thought was a bad shot because it hit way back. Okay. But what I didn't realize is that it came out his oh. armpit on the other side, so it was actually oh, a shit. shot yeah that was a beautiful shot so i kept because i thought it was a really bad shot (laughs) i kept trying to put more arrows in it and i kept missing and i kept scaring the bear but and but the bear he didn't go 10 feet he died um but uh i was like oh i don't want it so we were on the top of this mountain and the last thing i wanted to do was hike this elk (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> from the bottom of the canyon, back up the mountain, <laughs> I'm like, die on the top of the mountain. <laughs> so I didn't want to spling any more arrows at it and scare it or nothing. Like I just didn't make a peep, you know, and I think that worked out. Um, so he like bedded down, and then He got up again and he walked like another thirty yards, and he bedded down. And I'm like, okay, he's not gonna get up. And then the guide made some noise on the hill and he got up again and walked just out of sight. And I was like, oh crap. And so anyway, the guide and one of the other hunters, they decided to go keep hunting. Cause he, the other guy had an elk tag they were trying to fill. And so I just stayed there and like every like 10 minutes, I'd hear some branches breaking just out of view, right on that little knoll where I saw him disappear. So I was, I felt 100% sure that he was just, just out of sight, right on that knoll, you know. And I waited there for about half hour, 45 minutes. And then uh, I went walking over there before it got dark. And I went through the trees right where I expected to see him, and he wasn't there. And I was like, oh, man. And it just went downhill from there. Oh,
4: <laughs> I was boy. like,
3: oh, dude. And so I was a little... I. I'm like he's got to be here, you know, and so I'm like looking, and I started going around the trees. He's not, he's not here. He's not here. He's not here. And I started working down the hill, and I only went like three zigzags, and he he was right there. I was like, oh, that's awesome. That's just that's just a, it's a big Hallelujah. one right there. <laughs> yeah, and it turned out it wasn't a raghorn, so it was like a really you know what they call a freak nasty
4: (laughs) freak a freak okay
3: (laughs) and uh so on one side it had like a little three bullwinkle horn and then on this side it had a big spike and then it had a drop time that split like this like a kickstand yes that's his nickname kickstand (laughs) So, did you do a shoulder mount or a European uh, mount? Just the uh, just the Euro, just the Euro mount. And, and actually, I got a call from the taxidermist today. Nice. The bear and the uh, and the elk head are ready. So That's he's getting the shipping uh, shipping charges. Schmidties in Oklahoma. <laughs> so luckily. Uh, yeah, oh, boy, don't get me started on the trying to fly the elk back. <laughs> oh, dude. So, yeah, there's a lot of logistics involved. I'd never... I should tell that story because it could help a lot of people. So yeah, I knew, probably. luckily, luckily uh, Parker lived in Texas. And him and his buddy were driving from Texas to New Mexico. And then I was going to fly in and meet him there. And... I'm like, okay, I'm going to need ice chests if I get an elk to fly the meat back. And they're going to have to be big ice chests. And the town that we were hunting in was like, there's nothing there. <laughs> like, there's like a couple stores, but there's no Walmart where you're going to find like five big ice chests, you know. you know. Um, so I was like, okay, I need the ice chests before,
4: <laughs> yeah. you
3: know. So I was smart enough and luckily he was driving and they were bringing a trailer so I, I looked around and I found these big ice chests uh, from Walmart and they weren't that expensive. They were less than 100 bucks a piece or something. It only cost me like 250 bucks for four of them. Okay. Delivered to Texas to have them delivered right to Parker's house. So he showed up with these big massive ice chests, which uh, saved the day when it came down to it. So I looked ahead before I got the elk, you know, uh, flying, and so they say it's a hundred pound limit. So the well, every airline has different rules and different prices they charge you. And they don't really tell you exactly. like you can read their website. And they kind of give you they're like, generally it's like this, but it could be like it's not like black and white. <laughs> like, you know, and I tried calling the phone number, nobody ever answers. Like so I never got like a clear this is what it's gonna cost you before I went. Okay. But but it was clear that they were gonna charge you more if it weighs over 50 pounds. And it can't weigh over, but they said it was only a hundred bucks more or something like that. Um and it can't weigh over a hundred. So anyway, we uh were packing everything up, and I'm like, okay, I'm gonna only bring three ice, I'm gonna only fly back with three ice chests because like every one of them is like hundreds of dollars. Even yes. though I had the fourth one. So I'm like, I'm gonna give Parker my fourth ice chest, and I gave him half the bear. Cause I knew I couldn't fly the whole thing back. And you know, he set the whole thing up. So I was like, yeah, you know, here, take half the bear. And uh, so I had basically the, the four quarters, half a bear and all the back straps and three ice chests. And we put ice, they were frozen. The, the Luckily, cause we went through the guide. They have like a, a huge, you know, barn with a freezer and all this stuff so they were able to freeze it solid pretty much uh before i left okay and we went and got ice so we put ice in there and everything we, we pa- the guide helped you know pack them all up and i picked up you know one end i'm like oh it's not that heavy <laughs> you know so we drive to a you know albuquerque's where i was flying out of and they dropped me off in the curb with these big ass ice chests and they split to Texas. And I, they have, luckily, they have, uh, you put some money in and you get like a little cart. And so I was able to get the ice chest on the cart and wheel them in. The, you know, I got to wheel all this stuff in there, plus all my luggage and my bow, getting blind. <laughs> and, uh, you know, and my plane's going to be, you know, I only got like an hour until I'm supposed to fly, Jeez. you know. And so I finally get to the front of the line. I'm like, here we, guess what I have? <laughs> you know, let's put this on the scale. So, <laughs> so we, I think they did my luggage and everything first. And then they're like, okay, you know, put the ice chest on. So we slapped the first one on, we weighed like 136 pounds. And I was like, oh crap, that's over 100. So we take it off, we put the next one on.
4: It was like 150. All three
3: of them were overweight. Like none of them passed. And I was like, "Oh, crap." I'm like, "Well, you know, can I just pay a little more, you know? <laughs> like uh, you know, can I talk to somebody? How can we resolve this, you know?" And the lady was basically just like, You can talk to whoever you want, but we're not going to take those things because they're over 100 pounds. (laughs) I was like, what? (laughs) She's like, yeah, over 100? Doesn't go. Doesn't matter who you talk to. I was like, oh. She's like, you can take them down the street to an air freight place and they'll, you know, ship them and it'll probably be like astronomical. And I'm like, okay, well, I don't have a car. (laughs) And I got, you know. Three 300 pound ice stuff and the place is down the street and i got an hour like you know i'm like oh crap she's like well can your friends help you out and i was like oh, so i'm like i gotta do so i thought you know i'm like okay i gotta get rid of some of this weight and i'm not gonna leave it on the curb <laughs> in front of the airport <laughs> so i called my friends from texas and i'm like hey they have a 10 hour drive ahead of them and they've already got their 20 minutes into it. And I call them up and I'm like, Hey, you guys got to turn around. <laughs> it's not a call you want to have, but I'm like, dude, like, I'm like, I am hosed right now. You, if you guys, I'm like, you guys need to save me. <laughs> so turn around and they thank God they did. They turned around, came back. I, in the meantime, I'm dragging all the ice chests back out on the street, I'm opening up all the valves to try to let any water out. You lose weight. They're all taped up, you know, so they don't. So I'm ripping all the tape off, you know, getting them all ready. And then, you know, 15, 20 minutes later, they they came pulling in with the And uh, so basically, I ended up offloading half the elk. Okay. I had to give them a hind quarter and a front shoulder. And I had to pour a bunch of the ice out. So the first one I weighed, it was like 90. Luckily, I talked to the lady. And there was like a, one of the stations wasn't being used. Okay. And it had the scale. And so I was like, hey, can can I use this scale? (laughs) Because she's got a line of people, you know. I can't like wait in line to weigh each one each time, you know. I only got an hour to get on my (laughs) plane. and she's like oh yeah you can use the scale i'm like oh god thank god so like the first one i like pulled the hind quarter out of shuffled some stuff around got in there it weighed like 96 pounds i was like oh man i'm like okay this one's good and then the next one i took the front shoulder out of and i brought it in and it was still like 15 pounds over and it was all it was was a hind quarter and some ice. So I took it back out, poured all the ice out, <laughs> the hind quarter back, got in there, it was like 98 pounds. <laughs> oh, sweet. <laughs> I'm like, oh, God, thank God. And then like the last one I had to do some, get rid of a bunch of ice too. And uh, there was like 96 pounds. Uh, and I got them all in there and I taped them back up and I made my, made my flight, but it was, I was sweating bullets. And then uh, the crazy thing, though, like when I got back to San Jose, like I'm like, I wonder how they're gonna, you know, figure. Like they'd notify me, they'd be like, Hey, you know, we have these three extra large packages over here to for you to pick up. Usually they separate stuff that, like you would think, like that
4: out. That makes sense.
3: They do, they do that with your gun and your bow sometimes, you know, or definitely with the gun. Um, but I'm yeah. sitting there, you know, and the luggage starts coming. Next thing you know, my ice chest. Oh, <laughs> they put it on the carousel. <laughs> oh shit! All three of them, <laughs> like you know, it'd be one thing if we were in Colorado. People might be used to seeing that, but in San Jose, it's <laughs> <laughs> like, where are these big old bodies coming from? I got like you know, I'm wearing camo. I got gun, you know, cases and like three huge ice chests are like this guy's got dead stuff <laughs> i'm dragging him out to the curb luckily uh i thought ahead and i had consulted one of my buddies who has a truck because i was like i can't uber three ice chests home. <laughs> so he uh he was on call and i'm like i'm gonna need you to come pick me up And like sure enough and he came down and we slapped everything in the back of his truck and i got a nice ride home mission accomplished
2: (laughs) talk about some hurdles but man that's 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 a
3: hell of a story yeah yeah so what i'm thinking now is i'm gonna like if i go elk hunting i'm gonna try and do it in like arizona where i can drive there (laughs) well so i don't have as much that's the hard part is if you don't have a bunch of vacation you don't want to spend like two days driving there, and that's four days of driving, mm-hmm. vac- and that's your vacation. And you're not hunting; you probably just used up half your vacation, and so you might only get two or three days to hunt. I mean, it depends on how much vacation you got, but like the the flying thing is appealing. Plus, you know, you're not in a car for twelve twenty eight hours. You know what I mean? Yeah. But then oh, yeah. there's the whole flying the stuff back, and I had never i all. I know people do it, you know. So it just comes with experience. I watched the uh, the gritty Bowman. He has he does a great little YouTube channel. I, I watched a couple of his things, and uh, one thing they said they do, which makes a lot of sense, is they they use these uh, Yeti. They're called Pangas. Basically, it's a Yeti duffel bag that. It's not, it says it's not an ice chest, uh, but it, I guess it's watertight. So like ah. it won't leak, it won't leak a bunch of blood out of it. <laughs> <laughs> As it thaws. Yeah. And they're, they're super expensive. They're like a couple hundred bucks for one of these pengas, but it's like a big ass duffel bag. And so what the Gritty Bowman says they do is they go, th- cause like, you know, they can't, Most of the time, there isn't someone there or bringing you an ice chest like happened on this one adventure. You got to either, you know, you got to do something. So they bring these pangas with them and they collapse or they put all their gear inside of it. And then when they shoot something, they, I don't do this, but they, they said they debone like a whole elk inside the hotel room. (laughs) Oh, that's insane. (laughs) (laughs) and then they go to a bar or a a grocery store or a place with a walk-in freezer and they go hey can we like throw this in your freezer for a while and they're like oh sure and so they basically put the meat in a freezer and it freezes solid and then they put them in the pangas they just pack it full of meat and then they fly and they're like we've you know they've Flown for eight hours, you know, and like the meat barely thaws out, you know, because it's frozen and it's all in that thing. Plus, it's in an air, you know, cargo. It's only like the hour that's in between flights, you know, on a layover where it would probably even be thawing out or whatever. But that's what they do. um At least that's what, you know, that's what he says online. But uh, it makes perfect sense, you know. But it does. That's one thing I really value about like his and listening to him and like Aaron. Uh, Snyder from Kafaru is they're out there doing it you know for real you know they're in the mountains for you know weeks and you know if it's bad weather I'm like I'm not gonna <laughs> you know they get, they get a little extreme you know you know I'll rough a little bit of weather but like I'm not trying to die out there <laughs> yeah no kidding <laughs> you know i'll stay in the hotel or you know you got a trailer <laughs> one thing that i learned i don't know some people like they just and they it helps them become you know they're more successful hunting they just no matter what the conditions they go you know no matter what and you know if i'm not you know more power to them yeah <laughs> but, but you know i've seen like when it's the weather's like really i've heard stories about people i know you can catch trout in like gnarly weather <laughs> and people do kill stuff in gnarly weather but like i've seen it like when it's like super cold something like the deer don't even move like they're frozen <laughs> i mean i don't know I, I can't say because I don't I don't live back you know where it's super cold. You don't live year. where I
2: live, where it's yeah. But my biggest hole yeah, yeah. ever shot was negative thirteen. Oh jeez. <laughs> yeah, I had pictures of it. My whole beard is just full of ice because I didn't have a, a a face mask to protect my face.
3: Yeah. yeah. Well, I don't know. I was I because I've seen it a little bit here. So there was one day on my Indiana hunt where I I chickened out. Or in the morning because I'd been in the tree for like four days and it was like the, the temperature like <laughs> you know, it was like 34 every morning which wasn't you know I wasn't I was fine I've been duck hunting my whole life It's it gets in the 30s um, and I had enough gear and everything so I wasn't like cold or nothing but uh, I was just like you know what I'm passing today <laughs> and you know what no one shot nothing (laughs) i try to play the odds you know what i mean
2: yeah Uh, i've been there i've been
3: in your shoes there's like duck hunting too i kind of do that and some of my because i own a small duck club some of my guys think i'm a little crazy but it's paid off like the fog like hunting in the fog you can't see the the ducks (laughs) it's colder than hell and i've learned because i've been doing it my whole life that when the fog lifts that's when you shoot all the ducks. <laughs> so if it's like pea soup fog, I stay home until like eight or nine o'clock <laughs> and I stay nice and warm. Mm-hmm. And because if if you get up, you go out there super early, you end up, you just get cold and hungry and you want to go in right when it gets good. <laughs> you know what I mean? So I'd rather show up at prime time oh raring to go <laughs> you know that's my philosophy yeah. <laughs> but if you can miss it like so what i've learned is like because it's foggy here doesn't mean it's foggy over there and you don't you can't predict exactly when the fog's gonna lift so it's not a complete science you know yeah.
2: Unless you have like a uh, cellular camera where it's like it's like oh look it's 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 starting
3: to clear. Yeah, like, yeah. Unless your cabin is on the pond and you can look out the window. That's um, true. We there was one uh, time where uh, it was so cold. We I was actually staying at a cabin out there next door at this other club, and uh, it was so cold it looked like it snowed. It didn't snow. It was. It must have been uh, like freezing fog. So every plant was iced over. It, it looked like it snowed. Everything was white. And This is California. <laughs> it doesn't ever look like that. Yeah. It was cold, boy. There was mud hens frozen in the pond and they died because it was so no cold. No kidding. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, I got out of my sleeping bag and I could barely handle it in the house. The house was like a shack and like we got out, we, we didn't even want to get out of our sleeping bag. We looked out the window and we're like, oh no. <laughs> so some other guys from out of town who drove a couple hours, they showed up and they went out and they sat out there for like two or three hours. And eventually, like I hopped out of bed and I got the fire going.
4: <laughs> and
3: like started thawing the house out and then we got some breakfast going and you know, we're nice and toasty and we're like chewing breakfast burritos, looking out the window, going, God damn, looks cold up <laughs> Finally, these guys come in, they're blue, man. They are just frozen. They didn't even fire a shot. And they come in and like they like pop their head and <laughs> smell all the I was eating venison sauces. They're like, Oh my god. <laughs> so anyway, they end up leaving and uh you know, we're all fat and happy and warm, ready to go. We're like, all right, let's go out there. So yeah, we went out there. That's when we saw the mud hen frozen alive in the pond. <laughs> but we jumped in the blind and it was like it had just warmed up just enough to where the ducks started flying. We had a hell of a shoot.
4: <laughs>
3: That's beautiful.
2: That's you couldn't you couldn't plan that any better.
3: So <laughs> I don't know. It's that I was a I apply that a little bit to like it maybe totally non-existent for deer hunting i've like i've only been back east one time in deer hunting you know one time so i don't you know i rely on what the guide tells me if he tells me it's going to be good then i'll get my ass up, and get up there. <laughs> but but you know i i'm like you know if the deer are frozen <laughs> how am i supposed to shoot them <laughs> <laughs> but you said nine minus 13 huh? you shot a deer <laughs> yeah so it's
2: because deer eat on average of four times in a 24-hour period so it's yeah like yeah i learned a little bit
4: about that you're yeah. just
2: looking at that that trying to get on that pattern to where they're going to be getting up and walking and it's like uh, when you're when you primarily gun hunt like when i shot my is it was i don't think it was 2013 2014 the the was just getting up walking and like i knew they, they came up right behind me and it's like the, the guys I was out hunting with his first time ever hunting this property. It's like a little over hundred and uh, 120 acres to work, work with. So, it's, so there's a lot of ground to cover, but these guys have been hunting for 20 years. So it's like, well, we're going to set you right here because once you to get a deer, we don't know what's going to come through here, but we know there's going to be a deer movement. It's like, all right, cool. So it's like sat there and uh, the deer and up up having to go, up. I, I saw this big mature doe. It's like, she's been shot at more than once and come to find out. After I pulled her hind or pulled her hide off. Yeah. She had a shot been shot in the hind corner and it it healed up over the top of the slug and so she tucked back around she had a whole herd of does with her and then then oddly enough there's an eight point buck in there and um we get done hunting for when we go get meet up and stuff like that to kind of warm up and stuff because it'd be 13 and we'd like well this is where we got set up for a push so it's like all right for all the new guys are hunting it's like you guys get here first we're gonna come and push and that same doe that busted me earlier, she showed up and I put an air, I put a, a round through her heart and she reared up and just dropped straight down. So that's pretty, <laughs> pretty that. happy moment right there. Yeah, we, it was, it was good eating off of that, but yeah, it's there, it's unique in how things will move, whether it be snowing and stuff like that. I tend to avoid going out hunting when it's snowing, because if you happen to arrow that deer and it's like the, and it's the snow's coming down pretty thick you're gonna lose that blood trail real quick and it's like yeah, yeah. you it's easier to err on the side of caution than it is just like well i can i'm sure i can air it really well and i can find it but it's like you just don't want to run the risk of losing it or jumping on a piece of property you don't have permission for it's like well now you have to call the dnr and it's like well now it's like well good luck because now it's
3: buried that was the crazy thing about the elk that i shot is there not a drop of blood fell out of that sucker like, the arrow went all the way up to the fletching. It didn't come out the other side. And it must have just, like, sealed up on the arrow or something. Like, it was kind of a high lung shot. And I think it okay. went, I, I clipped one lung, and then I think I hit the liver because it it was kind of a diagonal. Okay. Yeah, because his rib cage, you could see when we cleaned him, you could see where the arrow was, like, cutting on the inside of his rib cage on, down here.
2: Oh, so I was just walking. It's it's just cutting everything. It's just tearing stuff up yeah. on the inside.
3: And uh, but I was looking on the gr- like there wasn't a drop of blood. Like if we didn't find, yeah, that's what
2: happened to him. I hit him high shoulder, and I knew I double lunged him. But it's like if it wasn't that he didn't p- pile up forty yards after where where I shot him at, I it's like I would never would have found him. It's just basically all I did is like I uh, went to the neighbor knocked on his door because it's like, I didn't have permission to hunt on it or, or walk it. So when it was six o'clock in the morning, he was not very happy about that, but it's like, I needed to get it because I knew there's yeah, coyotes yeah. out there for my trail cam. Oh, man, and yeah, so yeah. once I got permission, I went back to where my arrow was, right where, where I knew where I arrowed him at. And I just kind of kept him walking in a straight line because I just kind of followed him till I lost him in sight. And then as I got to the fence line and then 30 yards more, there he was. But at that point in time, it's, I shot him at uh 4 o'clock in the afternoon i didn't get him until six o'clock so rigor mortis was fully set in so he this guy weighed probably 250 pounds it took me oh, and my wife to pull him out and with <laughs> his legs all sticking it's like he's, he's in that that brush oh, it's really <laughs> thick oh and man so, yeah going up underneath trees <laughs> and stuff like that so it's like we just formed a train so like she was in front of me and i just grabbed the back of her backpack and i had a backpack strap where it just comes on the top buckles on, bottom, on the waist, around the waist to the chest then it had a, an eight foot long uh rope wrapped it around the 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 uh antlers and and uh just kind of tore, tore him brought him out so that's why he's a full mount but it's like when people see his neck it's like you understand why i shot him because he's only got three on one side and four on the other but the yeah, unique yeah. thing is like days after i pulled i pulled him off the land bucks just start showing up stuff that i've never even seen he was just a he's what they consider a bully buck it's like where he just he just he's just massive doesn't have a big wow. rack but he's just big I, yeah. ate on him for, I ate off of him for two years oh well. <laughs> yeah because it's like my wife found out that like like the she, she can only eat so much and then then the venison starts reacting with your stomach and out of positive way so it's like well yeah, yeah, yeah so i tend to eat a lot more of it but i i got a smoker here a, uh, a couple weeks back so i've been really experimenting with that aspect and, and she, she's been enjoying it more and it, and it doesn't tear up her stomach as much so it's like well, you know it's like it's just i can only do so much what she can do so yeah yeah
3: yeah no it was a great experience hunting in indiana like i want to go back for sure i mean i was supposed to go back the next year and then just things didn't work out mm-hmm. uh, it's, it'd be but, cheaper uh, for
2: you to come here and hunt in Wisconsin because an over-the-counter tag is 160 bucks. Oh yeah, it's not is,
3: expensive in Indiana either. No, it was staying, just, you know, it's going through Chad. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. Yeah, that's that's the upside, you know. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it was like living the lifestyles of rich and famous. So you know, I mean, you not too often you get to stay in, you know, a mansion. You know, that is true. He's got a. It's a, like a car, a Mustang car. It's a pool table with a huge bar. They oh, got that's video awesome. games. Like it's just stupid. <laughs>
2: that is that is awesome. It's kind of like it reminds me of Travis Bigger. He's got bigger uh, bucks outdo- outfitters there in Illinois, and he's he puts people on one seventies, one eighties, and he's got a uh, some like twenty tacticam camera so he ha- kind of has them all synchronized some of that I got a chance to meet him this year because uh, a buddy of mine brian sparks he's a chemist just a genius with the whole nasal cavity like he makes um scent control oh. he makes scent oh, products
4: okay. uh, so oh,
2: for he makes them for elk uh, uh predator hunting and then also whitetail and such and he just knows the, the chemistry and the nose and how like he knows how to Put the key in and lock it, and just rip them up. Like they show me pictures of these two bucks going at it, and they have videos of from all the cameras and such. Because the he has this mock spray scrape stuff where it's it's layered, so it's like it it has a smell like somebody a buck just urinated. Then it has a smell like where a buck urinated like two weeks ago, another one from three weeks ago. But it's like they they got pictures of one where they got in uh, fights about four years ago, where it was so violent that one of them lost its eye. He was, oh, wow. he was a 190-class buck, and huh. the, the the kid on the neighboring farm, he was like 11, 12 years old, opening gun season, shot him, it's like first buck ever. And on top of that, it's like now his bar is so high, it's like I don't think he'll ever achieve that level again.
3: Yeah, it was just – I missed my opportunity. It was just weird. So uh, basically uh, we got hooked up with a guy – There was a a local guy that he took us around when we were in Indiana. And uh, he had access to this uh, Boy Scout camp, like a huge, I don't know how many, a thousand acres, some massive thing. And nobody hunts it, right? (laughs) Because it's the Boy Scout camp. And he had permission to hunt it. And uh, the very first morning, he's like, okay, you know. He's going to put the one guy I'm with and this other stand. It was just, first morning, it was just me and this one other guy. And uh, and he's like, I'm going to, you know, put you. He's all like, got this perfect place to put you. And so we drop off the first guy and then we go to drop me off and we pull in and there's cars. Some people are camping there. He's like, what the hell? They're not supposed to be camping here. Like, I've, he's got it all arranged, you know. And so some people, that weren't supposed to be there, were there. He's like, oh, crap. So he had to put me, in some other spot I ended up seeing deer. I was in a different, every spot I sat in was amazing. Like I could tell, like, I'm not an idiot. I'm like, this is a good spot. <laughs> you know? <laughs> so every spot I was at was great. And I had deer. I saw does. I saw some bucks and, and like a lot of different spots, but that spot that he tried to put me in the first morning, he put me in a couple days later. And I had just missed the buck. He had, cause he had a, a camera there and it actually sends him pictures to his phone. Okay. And, uh, when I got back from the stand, he's like, he's like, here's an hour before you got there. Here's the buck. Oh man. And, like, he's all here standing in front of the camera. And like, he showed me, he like took a picture of me standing in the same, you know, <laughs> and then, uh, the very next day, a guy that I, met on the hunt. who was really good, dude. I was super happy. He got it, but he hunted that same stand and he ended up shooting his buck out of that stand. So it was, you know, and he, (laughs) what happened, unfortunately for him, he got a a decent buck, a nice buck, but I guess what happened was uh, there was two bucks and they came running in fighting each other. And they were stewing circles like right in front of his stand. And uh, he sh- he thought he, sh- he shot, he ended up shooting a small buck. Because <laughs> they were spinning around so much and he lost track of which one was which. And he thought he was on the big one, you know. And he shot and then he was like, oh, oh. <laughs> so there was an even bigger buck there that none of us got, you know. But, uh, you know, it was good. And I learned a lot about like, I'd never had a deer, like, I guess the does, like, they, uh, I don't know if you call it a snort and a wheeze or snort, whatever. snort wheeze, yep. But they like, nark you off the does. Yeah, they'll
2: nark you out. Yes, they will.
3: Yeah, yeah. So I had like, it was like, doing this. Oh, the stop. And, like,
4: yep. I've been there.
3: And like, wheezing at me. And I'm like, what the hell is that thing doing? You know? <laughs> and but- then, yeah, I was in, <laughs> so I got confused.
4: It's, um, you know every
3: time they drop you off they're like okay this is how you get to the stand you go you know it's like they just bombard you with information you know and so like sometimes you get kind of like lost they have little markers that you follow um, okay but uh you know actually this one stand there it was you had to cross a big field and so there was no markers in the field and so like i went Out there where I thought he said to go and there was no stand. I'm like looking back and forth. Well, it turns out I thought he said, don't go to the corner, (laughs) but that's where the stand was. (laughs) So I never went to the corner, but I kept walking back and forth where I thought he said to go. That's where he told me to go. But then I guess I was supposed to go to the corner. I I didn't understand what he was saying. But anyway, uh, I just kept walking around thing about the midwest is if you walk around if you're gonna find a stand
2: <laughs> that's so true yeah, so, especially when you come to wisconsin you'll see these, these beautiful box blinds
3: yeah so anyway uh, i walked around and then i there's this old metal real nice stand like uh it was like more of a rifle stand i think it was like homemade construction but had a nice bench in it it wasn't too high you know but I was like, I'm like oh that must be it you know <laughs> so I got in it you know and uh, it was a great spot like I had does coming out all around me and then a does and a, there was a nice buck that came out but like it was too far he never came to me um, but yeah that was that was good, so he brought me back like a couple days later and then I he's like no go to the corner <laughs> so then I found the right blind (laughs) but if I would have been in the other one I probably could have got a buck (laughs) the deer came and they right where that stand was at they were all like sitting right in the field (laughs) but the only problem with that stand I think is you're like you're right in the middle of their action so I think yeah it's a fine line of being in the right spot and being in like in the middle of the Action and blowing it, like, yeah. So it's a lot to learn. You know, I just listen to the guide. I, I you know, I tell, I don't pay somebody and then tell them what to do. <laughs> yeah, you know, exactly. the reason why I gave him my money in the first place. <laughs> exactly. Like some of these, you know, people go on guided fishing, you know, you know, fishing things, and they're like, mm-hmm. oh. I'm going to set it up this way. <laughs> you know, I've watched it on sturgeon boats, you know, the guy's like, Oh no, this is, this is how I do it. And the guy's like, okay, <laughs> boom, here you go. <laughs> you know, the, yeah, you listen to the, you, you know, if you don't have faith in them, then it's hard to make things happen. You know, you gotta, you gotta trust your, your guides.
2: <laughs> yeah. we, we uh, I went in a guided charter fish for um King Salmon here last fall and uh we ended up catching three of them, but we had a whole bunch of on the hooks, but we let them go. But the thought was like we saw we saw them land a couple of them. It's like we brought them into the boat. So like, okay, so we could probably put this together. And there were six of us. So it's like, well, maybe we can like have a, a chance to sit by a rod and have a chance. But the thing is, is like where you lose them at is actually when you pull the rod out of the holster. And We were and I've recorded a couple of podcasts with the uh, Captain Cody Luke's he was telling me like, well, like what, how we should do it. And like, and what you should do next time. And like, cause we're going to probably do another trip this upcoming fall again with them. But what we'll do is like, instead of bringing in six guys, we're just going to bring four. Cause it says like with four, with six guys, it's, it's nice. You're gonna, your, your your cost for the trip is a little bit less per person. Yeah. Yeah. But you, with four guys though, you're going to have more times at bat and, you, and you'll be able to catch more fish and such like that. And it's like, yeah, I think that's what we're going to do this time around. And so, it was it was a different learning experience we still got fish in the boat we split the fish all evenly between the six of us guys and such so it, it was well worth the money we had a blast.
3: Of salmon fishing in Wisconsin We go to uh, Lake Michigan
2: over by Kewanee. it's just oh, south that, of Gre- over by Green Bay yeah no, there's- I
3: was I was thinking maybe the Great Lakes but I didn't really realize there was salmon in in those lakes. We do, we have some in that come through.
2: They all start, they all go up and down the, the coast, all the way down to, to Northern Illinois, all the way back up to Canada. And we just kind of hit, we, we hit them, you hit them in the fall. There's like, there's a, a grace period right around uh, Labor Day and 9-11 during, during that time frame where the bigger salmon are coming up to go the way up upstream and such. And we caught uh, uh, two 25-pounders and no, then huh? a simple, like, little five-pounder.
4: Yeah, yeah. Awesome.
2: So it was, it was definitely well worth the money and, we're, and it, it's like, uh, he, uh, he let me get work as booth this, this. At the, the Deer and Turkey Expo here a couple weeks ago, and he got me get his little hall pass. So it's like I spent the time networking with people, recording a couple podcasts on site because I I have my setup to go where I can travel and do podcasting. My wife got me this nice little hard case, and I've traveled down to Florida and Illinois and Iowa, Minnesota, Wisconsin, all all places to record podcasts. Okay. It's been a blast.
3: Well, yeah, thanks for having me on your podcast. uh This has been pretty cool.
2: Yeah, yeah, it's like you. I let I let the (laughs) gates open, man. You you talked a lot of a lot of really solid points, and I'm like, I'm really happy how everything is progressing for you and such. And man, this is just going to be exciting to see everything come through. Now it's like I'm just going to be looking for either a Carter or something that I can that's in my price range to be able to put things together. So I might have to sell sell one, but who knows what we'll all come out with? Because I just like the concept to be able to have that right there and like less movements to to have easy access to it because like you both know it's like you hunted in indiana it's like the colder it gets the more layers you have the more pockets you get
4: <laughs>
3: yeah well yeah man if i'm ever uh, out that way i'll have to hit you up because like i said uh they're made in wisconsin my injection molded ones so at some point um so i imagine you know Volumes are going to get too high for me to be doing myself (laughs) because right now I do all the assembly and everything. Um, And if I'm trying to work, like it it could become a problem if it, you know, that's why I'm trying not to blow up. Like I said, too quick. I'm trying to like (laughs) slowly ramp into things. Well, I can. So I need to go to Wisconsin. I need to talk with my injection molders. So they do some assembly. So, once I get, so, probably by next year, my sales should be pretty steady. I mean, by sales, so, my first year was last year. I made $12,000. Um, that's not profit. That's, like, what I sold. Yes. Um, and that's not, and I didn't even start till like, the beginning of April. So, that wasn't even a full year. Um. I'm already I'm probably looking at doing like twenty somewhere eighteen to twenty two thousand this year. I'm guessing, like just the way things are going. Um and so then like the next year it should I should be probably hitting maybe closer to thirty or something. Depends. Like things things get crazy, like Sometimes, you know, orders just start flying in. <laughs> I don't even yeah. know where they're coming from. Also, it's just like, oh, my God, No, 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 And then there's times where there's just nothing. Like, last week, it was like crickets. And then all of a sudden, like, yeah. It just depends on who's walking around showing their buddy. And then, like, all of a sudden, I get five orders. It's kind of weird. Yeah, because um, –
2: we, here in the midwest we're pretty popular with with the kids and stuff like that and they, we have the s3da shoots and you get a couple of kids in that right there and they go on to national or to regionals to nationals and it you can pull up real fast because regional or nationals can have a f- couple hundred kids five to five to six hundred kids then uh Texas Am that is the, the premier school for archery so if you want if you if you get picked up to go shoot, that's where everybody, they have, they have some like ridiculous. Like, 12, I 13. do.
3: One of my, that's probably where I sell the most mounts is Texas.
2: One not surprise me because Texas AM has a, a phenomenal program out there. And it's like, they well, my friend win. Parker, I
3: was telling you about this from Texas. He yeah. brought his mount back and then he brought his bow into a, a local archery shop and they called me. <laughs> They're like, Hey, <laughs> you know, we got to get some of these. And then he brought it into another shop and they called me. And, uh, so they bought some for themselves. Like the owners are like, I want this on my bow. (laughs) (laughs) And so then they've been walking around and customers have seen it. And so then I've been like, it's just been mushrooming out. And then I just had a Houston archery. Some, uh, they just called me someone in Houston brought one in. (laughs)
2: <laughs> yeah, if, if R- Rogan catches wind of that for his his silverback man, it's gonna it's gonna be it's gonna be a game changer.
4: Yeah.
2: Well, man. P- Paul, I really appreciate you coming on the podcast. We are like cruising three hours, man. This is like, what do I you mean? Like, wait, yeah. second longest podcast. Like, this oh, okay. is freaking awesome.
3: You, got, you, got some, you can edit out a bunch.
2: <laughs> no, I I,
3: I I keep everything
2: because, like I said, this is all going to be on YouTube. And then it's like, even the times where you went grab stuff, I just put yeah. on pause and hit record yeah. right when you got back. So it's like, I've maintained a consistency all through it. And it's like, we have so much. Man, this is absolutely a blessing. I really appreciate you coming on and sharing uh, us. You. Your story and and how you how you like strategically doing your marketing. It's like,
3: dude, hats off, man, bravo! Oh, thank you, thank you, Jeff. You're very very welcome sir. having me on. This has uh, been a great opportunity for me, and yeah, I feel you know. I never thought I'd be on any podcast. Yeah. <laughs> you know I, I, mean? I will definitely. Sh- I'll
2: spread the word to my friends and stuff like that because <laughs> I know I have a few of them that that use several of your. Um, release it the yes. use the releases that you have molds for so be perfect for them to to have you on and have that conversation and such so it's like
4: oh, well, i'll oh. tell you
3: what next time we do a podcast it'll be at when you have a mount so <laughs> you can talk about how <laughs> it is to actually you've actually tried it i wanted yes. to i mean i was gonna if you had a release i was gonna send you the mount but you, then i remembered oh you, you don't have it and occasionally i do have extra releases and I, I try to like do uh giveaways and stuff like that. Um You know, so I don't know one of these days,
4: but yeah, uh, it's like if you, for the low end market,
2: <laughs> man, th- this true fire four finger edge is like, that's the one that they, the, that hasn't changed in, Probably a decade and they still make I need
3: them. to make one of those. And it's only a hundred dollars. So I should buy one and make a prototype and send it to you. So you can test it out. <laughs> oh
2: hell yeah, man. Oh yeah. I, I, it's like this year I have eight shoots that it's going and I'll be recording podcasts is like, you bet your ass. I will be talking about every single <laughs> podcast.
3: <laughs> I lost it. I'll have to get on the ball. Then.
2: <laughs> no problem, man. Well, thank you, Paul, for coming on the podcast. How can people find you?
3: Uh, Advanced Outdoor Technology. Uh, my website is adv, short for Advanced, and then Outdoor, and then tech dot com. So I had to had to I had to come up with the world's longest name. <laughs> my email is advanced outdoor technology at gmail.com. It's like this long. <laughs> Or uh, Instagram. I'm always on Instagram. Most of my business is from Instagram, and uh, just people talking about it. Um, and I have a Facebook, but like you could probably message me through there. I'll still get back to you. Yeah. Um,
2: I think everybody in the outdoor world is is going to either go wild with the app itself, or
3: okay. I Instagram. have that app. I should start. I have my. I have a personal thing i haven't done my uh I haven't done one- so you think it's i mean that maybe that's something i should be getting on the ball and getting yeah. one going
2: Right now, it's TikTok, Instagram, and uh, Go Wild. Those are the three platforms that, if you're in the outdoor world, you're going to be there. TikTok has had its own thing, but since it's just archery, it's like that's where it's like Abu Garcia has their stuff on there. They're blowing up, and like anybody's anybody. That's yeah. I don't like, like
3: China. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, <laughs> TikTok, I completely agree. I love, China owns TikTok, or it's yeah. a Chinese. I don't know. Yeah, I'm just yeah, like, I, don't, I don't want to deal
2: with it. I don't blame, well, yeah, because it's like with your product, it's like you're, you're going to see it showing up on Wish or Alibaba or some shit. Yeah, well, I
3: don't know. It's just the whole thing. I'm just skeptical of the whole
2: thing. Yeah, I don't blame it. I don't blame it. But yeah, Instagram, the reels are where it's at, man. Thank and then you. go wild. So thank you again. I'm going right, to let we'll you go. You as well. All right.
1: Talk to you later.